rainbow. Exorcism, a sacrifice. Blessing or bestiality. The curse of the devil. Satan in control of the body and the mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you will find Hello and welcome to the Nashy Cast. I am Rod Barnett. I am Troy Gwynn. And for our 59th episode, we get to do a very exciting thing. Yes. We get to talk about a Paul Nashy film. Paul Nashy film. film. What? Who would thought on the Nashy cast? <laughs> it's been a while. Oh my gosh, it has been a while. Uh, you may have noticed that uh, once we got to uh, 50 or so movies, mm-hmm. uh, things started to kind of trickle off in the category of Nashy films that we we're going to sit down and talk about because although we had thoroughly enjoyed several of the movies that we covered uh, once we got past 50, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. there was a point where we realized, yeah, we were enjoying the films, but man, Nashy's participation level in these films <laughs> is so low yeah. that they're certainly not Paul Nashy films. They're, right. na- they're films in which Paul Nashy acted. Yeah. And, and sometimes uh, only for like a scene, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Sometimes just a handful of scenes. I mean, like a, a great example is Dr. Justice, which is a great little oh, movie. Oh, enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah. But he's in like, what, three scenes? Yeah, yeah. Three or four or and like there that. was, I think, Mortal Sin we did, and I think that literally was, I think, a one, one scene, I believe. Yeah. Once again, an interesting movie, but I think that was pretty much <laughs> And his scene was quite good, but yeah, at yeah. the same time, <laughs> not really Don't Paul blink and you'll miss old Paul there, yeah. So. Yeah, pretty much. So, we are glad to be back because uh, we get to cover a Nashy film. Tonight, we're going to cover a movie called Sequestro or Sequestro. sequestro. Yeah, it- I've been saying Sequestro, but that doesn't mean I'm right. That's just what I've, nor- what I've normally been calling it. Well, you know, we can't pronounce it because, as usual, it's a Spanish word, and therefore we have no freaking clue. And after eight years of doing this show, we don't know any more Spanish than we knew to begin begin, beginning. Which is, (laughs) we know more Spanish people. We don't know any more of the language. That's (laughs) that's that's how it boils down, sadly. But that is a Spanish word, and uh, it means kidnapping. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is the plot of the film. I would I would I would say really uh, a kidnapping. Mm -hmm. And uh, the film was made in 1976. Uh, and uh, luckily, there are a number of people in this movie that uh, Mr. Nashy worked with a few times, including mm. his main collaborator on this, the director, yep. Leon Klamowski, who he made, uh, I believe, seven films with? I think it was eight altogether. Eight? And the cool thing about this, what was really exciting me about doing this, I didn't really realize, I was already excited when we realized we could actually get our hands on a new Nashy film. Yeah. I knew it was Klamowski. It took me a while to kind of, when I had to go and check back and... And I believe I'm right about this, that with this film, we have now covered every film that the two of them did together. So that's a cool oh, yeah, thing that yeah. we can say that now, that we've we've covered all, I think, eight films that they did together. So Well, I mean, the, the list of the films that they did is is really impressive. If you mm-hmm. were unaware, Leon Klamowski was one of Paul Nashie's major collaborators, and together... Uh, they made uh, well. Let's start it off with Werewolf Shadow, mm-hmm. which uh, also known as yeah. uh, the Vampire, uh, the uh, Werewolf and the Vampire Women, mm-hmm. which I do believe was their uh, it was their first film together. And then they went on to make uh, Vengeance of the Zombies, uh, The Devil's Possessed, uh, Dragonfly for Each Corpse, The People Who Own the Dark, this film Sequestro, mm-hmm. and Death. Yeah, Death of a Hoodlum. Um, so they made a number of films together, and um, I think that uh, 
before before we get to the, uh, the discussion of this film, I'd just like to say this one is a strong one. Oh yeah, this, yeah. This is it's, this it's, is it was well a nice done. discovery. You know, this is, it was kind of one of those nice. Uh, a little, uh, I think it's a little bit of a gem there, you know, kind of pretty, pretty well done. Of course, here on the podcast, we covered more than just the uh, the films that uh, Mr. Klamowski did with oh, yeah. Mr. Nashi. Mm. Uh, yes, indeed, we've covered uh, oh, the Vampire's Night Orgy. Oh, he also they also did uh, Doctor Jekyll and the the Werewolf. Yeah, only one of the best. <laughs> only one of the best. I forgot about. I forgot to mention that one. Uh, but uh, we did. I hate my body. Way back mm-hmm. as one of the very first. If if not the first, was it the first Beyond Nashy episode we did? I hate my body. It may have been. Um, you know, I think it was. I think it was. My, I think it was our first Beyond Nashy. It may have been. And then, mm-hmm. uh, of course, uh, Vampires Night Orgy. And I know that in the future we intend to cover the Dracula saga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, and we also did um, Strange Loves of the Vampire, the film that Mr. Klamowski yes. made with uh, our beloved Emma Cohen. Yeah, very interesting film that you can barely see. Uh, one that really, uh, really, really screened. And I don't mean just fine. I mean literally, when you found it, it's still hard to see. The picture is yeah. very bad. But uh, I have remember, located a better looking copy better that I copy. recently that I recently watched to see just how much better it is. It is better than the version yeah. that we had in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are sequences that are now actually visible. Actually, you can tell what's going on, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and you're not, you're not making guesses on, right. you know, just what's being said or, or whatever, but uh, the it's it's still, that's a, that's a film, um, that's a film, Strange Lives of the Vampire, also known as Night of the Walking Dead, which is a title that kind of fits it, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, it's a Leon Klamowski film, stars Emma Cohen, and it's well worth it's well worth seeing, but man, that's a film that is well overdue for some kind yeah. of uh, video restoration of some sort. So, uh, yeah, we've covered a number of Mr. Klamowski's films. I guess at this point that would mean we probably covered 10 or 11. Uh, easily, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, good to get back into the swing of that kind of thing, and also just wonderful to have someone, thank you out there, world, Subtitling uh, mm-hmm. the Spanish language only Nashi films that are still available in ways. I mean, like I say, this is, you know, all, all of our access to these kind of films is subterranean. And for that, we're not trying to harm anybody. But boy, do we want to see these movies. And thank yeah. goodness for the fan subbing community out there that's allowing us the chance to finally get a look at the uh, lesser known, the uh, mm-hmm. non exported mm-hmm. Paul Nashi films. And this certainly fits the bill. I don't yeah. know of. Uh, there's certainly no stateside release, and I don't even think it was released in Britain. I don't think there was ever an English dub track made for this. Yeah, I think you're right. But uh, that's what we'll be covering tonight. Uh, before we get there, we would like to point out that it is that time of year again. Uh, it is time for the Rondo Awards. Mm-hmm. And uh, a number of uh, friends of the podcast and people who are uh, just friends, period, are up for various nominations. As usual, Tim Lucas is up for uh, a number of nominations. Uh, the fact that uh, Video Watchdog is no more as a print model uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter because the man continues to work for yep. other people's magazines and for audio commentaries and audio such. commentaries of a dozen different types. I know he's up for his Kaltiki mm-hmm. commentary. Yeah. And uh, we also have uh, our uh, our old good buddy Mark Maddox mm-hmm. is up for uh, a number of his monster movie uh, paintings he's done for magazine covers over the past year. Those doodlings, those scribbles he does. <laughs> His scribblings! <laughs> uh, Mr. Maddox is definitely up, and uh, the one that he's most proud of, and I think deservedly so, is the uh, wraparound cover, the uh, almost uh, triple-sized cover that he did for the magazine Little Shop of Horrors, in which they covered Frankenstein the True Story. Yeah. And it is a work of art. It is absolutely gorgeous. absolutely gorgeous thing. Now, of course, the one that 
after my own heart is the Gidra, the the one the, oh, the yeah. Gidra when he did. Of course, for me, that's the one. I was just, of course, I actually have a very large print of that. I bought the last one that he had at uh, last year's Wonderfest. He was selling. I actually bought his display there. That was a, uh, uh, but I had to have that one. That was pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. It is amazing, and honestly. I'm torn as to which to vote for because oh, there's some yeah. Mark. Mark is urging people to go with the to vote for the Frankenstein one if they're going to vote for him. Mm-hmm. But honestly, that that mm-hmm. Gidra versus Godzilla yeah, yeah. Po- that 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 piece of art that's for uh, that was for Mad Scientist. I yeah. think mm-hmm. that was that one is amazing. And of course, I, I don't I, and I don't remember if it, if this was nominated, but the Nashi one he did for Scream was pretty incredible too. Uh, oh yeah, he said that uh, um, the next time I see him, that's one I'm going to have to snag from him. Oh, I've got to get yeah, I've got to get a copy of that from my wall. That's just a beautiful, beautiful painting. And I was so happy that he included uh, Nashi's mummy character yeah. uh, as part of that yeah. as part of that cover. That really made me happy. So. But but that's always one of the toughest categories to me is in the rondos is that is that cover because man, when you scroll through them, you realize how many awesome artists are doing just incredible covers for these magazine stuff, and it's that's one that's always a tough one. Uh, just amazing work being done out there. It's true. It's true. Also, just uh, a lot of I always use the rondos, and I say this every year. I use the rondos as kind of a a listing of things that I may have missed oh, in the past year. Same here, man. Yeah. Not not just magazine articles about various things that I'm interested in, but also the books that have been published that I've somehow missed. Yeah. I I'm so thrilled with that. I mean, there are a lot of great books that are that are that are on there that I mean, at least four or five of them I had not even I'd not even been aware of being mm. published and I thought I always think, man, I'm fairly tuned in. I I pay attention to this stuff and then every year this listing comes out and mm. I'm just sitting there scratching my head going, "Holy crap, I didn't know this existed." I uh, know. I'm the same way. Some of these I can't believe that I didn't get word or didn't see the, you know, didn't see any announcement on them or ones yep. that I knew were coming out and then just slipped by me once they did arrive. So, yeah, that's you're right. It is a really great uh means of just making a checklist uh uh but if you're wondering why we're we're giving so much attention oh. we always we always love the rondos but this year is uh is a little is a little special extra well let's let's be honest i mean every every year for the past three or four years at the mm-hmm. very least uh mm-hmm. our podcast by way of uh the bloody pit of rod by way of the blog itself has been nominated and we've never won and then of course i don't i don't know that we're we're necessarily disappointed about that put the gun down troy <laughs> it's okay it's all right it's all right man it's all right but every year for a few years now uh, I, will, the, the, I, will, I will feed i will stuff the ballot i will say no. <laughs> the, the nashi the nashi cast has uh has kind of been up for uh for a rondo one way or another we've never won and honestly we've never really expected to no, because no, no, there there's there are shows out there oh, who yeah. are weekly yeah yeah uh we are you know at our height we were uh we were monthly uh and then occasionally i think for our second year we we did go bi-weekly there for a while which was nice uh so we got like you know 24 episodes out in a year but that's you know that's hardly the the 50 plus episodes that a lot of fine podcasts are able to are able to get out there and so i know (laughs) that we're not we're not really in the the category of some of these some of these shows and uh if you look at the the output of uh the, the B movie cast or Monster Kid Radio or show yeah. like, shows Every like that week, where you're yeah, like just, yeah where they're uh, just I'm always in all of those people yeah. who can how they can do that <laughs> yeah I mean you know that's that's impressive stuff mm-hmm. and um, you look at Cinema Psyops they don't miss a thing yeah I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm just always I'm always stunned by uh, the the competition in that category but so once again uh, essentially uh, you, you could lobby you could you could lob a vote in our direction for the the Bloody Pit uh, slash the Nashi cast in in that particular category but this year there are a few surprises. Yeah, uh, one yeah. uh, one of which I feel we are unworthy, or at least I am unworthy, and the other I think I'm really proud of. Um, under the um, best commentary track category, 
Uh, Mr. Gwynn and myself mm-hmm. have been nominated for the work we did on the first uh, Paul Nashie set from Scream Factory. The yep. uh, the three commentary tracks we did there, they didn't single any one of the three out. They just kind of... Uh, did the whole collection out there, yeah. is, uh, which is cool. Yeah, which, so. I, which, I, which is great. If I were going to pick one from that set, I felt like the best one that we did was the uh, Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll of the three on that. Although I'm proud of all three of them, but I felt like that was the one that we... Personally, I thought we did the best job on, but uh. I, I think I think you're right. That's the one that I felt. Uh um, the editing of all three of them was horrible. <laughs> as as the man who edited all three of them, trust me, I did not enjoy that aspect of the job I'm nearly sure. as much as anything else I've ever done in my life. But uh, uh, I'm very proud of all three of those. I'm also proud of you know the Hunchback of the Morgue pro- uh, track that we did for the second yeah. set, yeah. Uh, as well as the the one we did for Inquisition for Mondo Macabro's release of that film. But uh, we are nominated for for uh, best commentary in uh, that category, and uh, we are you know right yeah, up next to very, a yeah, number great, of really yeah. impressive commentary tracks right. done by people who are who just let's let's say worthier than no, our our for frail sure, selves for sure. So. People who are uh, experts in the forum there, so yeah. yeah, yeah, and have been doing it longer than we yeah. have, and are honestly. Um, People that I let's put it this way: we're in the we're in a category with people who I look forward to no, hearing. Yeah. yeah, me too. Their, their name on a commentary track on a film will actually push me from maybe, oh, absolutely push me from not purchasing a disc to actually purchasing the disc just because of their participation. And I'm really thrilled to be just mentioned in that list. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really nice. But once again, if you wish, yeah. hey, you could so. vote for us. <laughs> I won't stop you. No. Um, <sighs> but in other, in one other category, I have a nomination and I, and yes, I, he does. And he's being modest. He did a very good job on the article. Well, I, I feel like I feel the modesty is uh, accurate <laughs> and, 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 I'm being purposeful in my in my modesty simply because uh, uh, the article I wrote, the overview of the Paul Nashi Blu-rays that are available currently, uh, that was in Scream issue, uh, Scream issue number thirty-four. Yeah, the one with uh, Mark Maddox's fantastic painting on the cover. Uh, that got nominated for best article, and that's really sweet. I'm I'm thrilled that people mm-hmm. nominated me for that because I know I didn't nominate myself. Because I really don't, I feel that most of the other articles that I, the ones that I've read in that category, are are head and shoulders above what I did. Simply because all I did, all all, all that article is is a, is a, is a an overview of what's available out there. And you know, yeah, I, I included a few you know nods to the qualities or lack thereof of certain films as I went along. But man, you look at some of those other uh, articles in that uh, in that category and uh, the Wayne's World phrase I am not worthy <laughs> comes to mind heavily and I don't need to be bowing in front of Alice Cooper to say it. Um, yeah, so well, nice to be not nice to be nominated. Yeah. Yeah, well. Well, congrats anyway and I'm proud of your partner. There and uh, and hey, happy anniversary and it is an anniversary so I'm using the word correctly in this case. It's 8 years this month is uh Eight years for us, oh, the, yeah. the February, because we started in February 2010, so this is actually eight years of doing the podcast here. Eight years of podcasting, Damn. and we haven't learned a fucking haven't thing. haven't learned anything. I know. It's, not, it's pathetic. Not a bit smarter. <laughs> no. No. Not uh, a old, bit more cultured. Older, grayer. Yeah, that's right. 
possibly more profane. Yeah. That's all. That's, that's about as far as I'm willing to go, I think. Uh, one more thing before we go. I, um, we we tend, to ch- tend to shy away from uh, top-heavying the podcast when we've got a big subject to dig into like we do this month. Uh, but I would like to point out that uh, just something that uh, people might be interested in. Speaking of Mark Maddox, uh, I learned about a book because Mark did the cover painting for it. It's a book called Bond Unknown. And it's uh, it's uh, two stories, uh, one shorter, one a fifty page story, and one uh, two hundred pages that are. Um, and I know this sounds strange. Um, this is James Bond versus the Cthulhu, the Cthulhu Mythos. Uh, this is a combination of Ian Fleming and H.P. Lovecraft. And I bought it mainly because I thought that's completely insane, and I have to see what these people have done. Right. And I'm proud to say now that I've read it. Um, this is a good book. Oh. Uh, I liked both stories. Uh, the longer one I liked even better. Mm-hmm. They strive very, very hard to write these stories in the voice of Ian Fleming. Cool, cool. They cool. set them in the correct time period. This, mm-hmm. These are proper uh, sequels slash uh, sequels to Ian Fleming's original novels. Great. This is not the movie. Yeah. This is not the movie James Bond. Right. This is the novel James Bond, uh-huh. and uh, all the stronger for it. The longer of the two stories, called Mindbreaker, by Edward Erdelac. Uh I hope that's his real name instead of a pseudonym, or I'm just using it ridiculously. Anyway, Mindbreaker is fantastic. If I'm, I, it's been a few years since I read the uh, the various Bond novels, but if memory serves, this story takes place after the final Ian Fleming novel. Oh, cool. They're in, yeah, they're in the the '60s, and um, man, it's it's a heck of a story. I mean, we get a little, we get a we get an appearance from uh, numerous. Uh, characters in previous novels, including his uh, dead wife's father, uh, Felix Leiter shows up. Of course, if you if you've read the novels, you know that Felix by the by the time of this uh, by the time of this story is uh, missing an arm and a leg, mm. and uh, that 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 plays into things. Uh, it's an exciting. It's Mindbreaker is extremely exciting, very much an Ian Fleming story, and it beautifully folds the Lovecraftian mythos into things. It's it's very effective, and I was really surprised. Cool. Bond Unknown is the name of the book. It's published by a Canadian uh, press called April Moon mm-hmm. Books. Uh, I, in my opinion, you should look it up. No, and it sounds, if it, if sounds it, really entertaining. If it if it sounds like something you're interested in, yeah, yeah. order it. Um, it's twelve bucks, twelve bucks Canadian, and um, in my opinion, worth it. So yeah. Having said that, awesome. uh, and, and, and you get a you, you get, get a great cover there. Yeah. yeah, from Mark Maddox, of course. So anyway, just wanted to throw that out there and let people know about it, and uh, say thank you for coming back. Thank you for coming to listen to us talk about this uh, extremely rare Nashy film. And we're well aware, by the way, that almost none of you are going to have been able to see this. So uh, we will warn you up front, yeah, we're going to spoil the hell out yeah, of it. Yeah, might as well. Yeah, like, we we, may be, we our are. voices may be the only way most people <laughs> experience this film. So. It, it may well be. Um, there's certainly no way to disseminate this legally yeah, right. but uh, we will try our best to get across the the, the heart of the film and kind of uh, its its structure and anything else that we can so uh, we'll take a break come back and dive into kidnapping did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds oh, necrophilia it's a dead issue man don't don't push it Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. 
No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you should be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? (laughs) People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but... There are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. Oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. That sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show. Oh, will do. Let's see, that's at orphanentertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm, we'll see, Christopher. We'll see. Sequestro, 1976, a.k.a. Kidnapping. Mm-hmm. Directed by Leon Klamowski, written by Paul Nashi and Antonio Foss. Mm-hmm. F-O-S. Now, yeah. I know that uh, the two of, two of us both undertook the uh, <laughs> the work to try to learn a little bit about Antonio Foss, uh, and we failed. And we failed, yes, exactly. We um, uh, which which is a bit of a shame, because Mr. Foss uh, uh, gets, gets a co-writing credit, or at least a story credit, on this particular film. And if you look at the the movies that uh, he has writing credit on, which there there's roughly thirty seven or eight, depending on how you mm-hmm. count them, um, he was involved in a number of very interesting films. As a matter yeah. of fact, he did uh, he did at least four movies with um, Eloia de, de la Iglesias, right? Yeah, one of which I'm a huge fan of, and the other three I've not seen. He wrote he wrote the screenplay for uh, Cannibal Man, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic Spanish film from 1972. But he also wrote uh, the glass ceiling and uh, a couple, uh, like I say, uh, several others for Dilly Iglesias, and apparently their collabor- their collaborations together are are generally considered very, very, uh, very, very high quality. And yeah. uh, like I say, having only seen one of them, I can speak to its qualities. But he also uh, has screenplay credit for the Vampire's Night Orgy. Uh, it happened at Nightmare Inn. Death will have your eyes. And, and and quite a quite a number of other films, and it seems that starting with this movie, 
he became someone who worked pretty regularly for a little while with Paul Nashie. Um, yeah. He gets the story credit on this film, and then he gets screenplay credit along with Nashie for The Transsexual and The Frenchman's Garden, which... Um, and Panic Beats as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, I'm says, sorry, uh, yes. You know, he's listed as uncredited for Panic Beats, but... Yeah, which means we don't have any clue sure. as to what his contributions may have been. But then again, well, well we don't really have any clue because nobody ever talks about him, or at least in regards to. And now I have I you know come across some excerpts from books uh, that dealt with the Iglesias films that, that that will mention, you know, that he it will mention Foss's name several times in in collaboration with him. But right. uh, when it comes to the films he did with Paul Nashi. it's it's a bit of a bit of a mystery man here, and it, it was really in watching this film and. I got to I got to thinking that I, I don't know that we ever mentioned his name when we covered those prior films. We've always just sort of said, well, Paul Nashie co-wrote the screenplay, or is Paul Nashie's screenplay? And, you know, Nashie certainly doesn't <laughs> give him any real mention. And we know Mr. Nashie had a, had a little bit of an ego, you know, which is fine. You know, most artists do, you know, and I, and, and, uh, I don't know what the story is between the two of them, but it, it would have, you know, it's interesting to me that in, in Nashie's autobiography, there's no mention of this guy at all, as far as I can tell. I know I did, I did a really I did a, yeah. a, a quick hunt, and I couldn't find uh, any mention of Antonio Foss at all. Yeah. And like I say, we're not even sure that we're pronouncing the man's last sure. name correctly. No but uh, with his name on uh, on as many you know genre cre- with his mm-hmm. as, mu- as much genre attention as the man's career yeah. involved, I'm kind of curious as to why there's yeah. not a little bit out there about him that I can find. I couldn't yeah. even find anything. Couldn't find any articles or any. So not even in Spanish that I could kind exactly. of like Google Translate. Yeah. haltingly give me some kind of concept of what it's about. Yeah. Uh, but still, uh, it, it is good to, to make mention of uh, Mr. Foss because um, this, is a, this is a pretty interesting screenplay. I've got mm-hmm. some bones to pick with mm-hmm. the script. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, I think that's all well and good as long as the film works, and I think that overall this film mm-hmm. does work. Yeah. But yeah, I think that we kind of wanted to mention... Mr. Foss. Oh yeah, because and if we haven't before, yeah, our apologies to him wherever he is out there. Is like, I don't I do think feel... we have. I, yeah, I, yeah. I really don't think that we've ever yeah. ever mentioned him, and I, I I couldn't tell you even if he was still alive because as yeah. far as we can tell, his uh, his uh, his last credit was around the mid '80s, mm-hmm. and he was he was working uh, he was doing some work. This is right after Panic Beats. He did uh, some stuff for Spanish television, and then uh, he's got a, an adaptation credit in 1984. And after that, I mean, who the heck knows what's going on? He could be alive or dead, and honestly, we don't have a clue. Yeah. So, if anybody out there has mm-hmm. any information about yeah. Ashy collaborator Antonio Foss, uh, hey, write in and let us know. Yeah, we'd Please be do. interested. So. Let's talk about the film. Um, this is a film that uh, Nashi has always said up front that it was based uh, primarily on stuff that was in the news at the time yeah, in, the, in the mid-70s. Very topical. Yes, exactly. He, uh, he's, his specific uh, jumping-off point for this story was the Patty Hearst case, the Patricia mm-hmm. Hearst case, uh, which, of course, if you have no historical background in that, um, look up the Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. And then look at some interviews with Patricia Hearst. And here in the 21st century, try to figure out just how much truth she's telling in those interviews. And just how much all of this, you know, how involved was she really past a certain point? But nevertheless, let's uh, let's dive into this. Well, I remember remember, uh, being... I was about ten, I guess, when this sort of when the the whole Patty Hearst thing was going on, and of course, being a ten year old, um, what was happening in the Daily News was not really the focus of my uh, attention. But I, I certainly remember her name and sort of giving a vague idea what was going on, and like, oh, that's great! Now I'm just going to play my GI Joes here, you know, and just uh, you know, it's like so. So I can't really claim to 
been totally aware of the whole what was the really depths of the story, but I certainly remember it being very much in the news day by day. The Patty Hearst story. Oh, right most assuredly. I mean, yeah. there's if you live through the '70s, there's absolutely no way you don't know the name and yeah. probably some details of the case if you don't know mm-hmm. if you don't know um, specifics. At least you have a vague knowledge that it was you know a, uh, mm-hmm. a kidnapping case involving the daughter of a rich man, and mm-hmm. you go from there. And I, don't, I think really when you get down to it, we'll see it. There's not a whole lot of similarities it's a jumping off point you know yeah. uh, between yeah. you know i think uh, uh once it gets into really what the people's motivations in the story of that i think are, are quite different from 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 the patty her story but i think it was it did seem like i guess it was a hot button topic at the time so that's probably helped to get the film made i'm sure and maybe provided the initial germ of inspiration for it probably so okay to that effect the the film opens with a uh a shot uh, under the credits. We have a shot mm-hmm. of a handheld uh, mirror mm-hmm. being used to reflect sunlight, and it seems as if uh, it's being tilted back and forth as in a way to uh, signal someone. And of course, I think that kind of sets up when you know that the name of the film is kidnapping. Maybe this is going to factor into the film later on, and of course, it does. It does. Well, one thing I thought was kind of neat about that whole opening, or is because one of the theories uh, behind not only the whole Stockholm Syndrome but about Patty Hearst kidnapping was the whole idea of, of someone being brainwashed. Right. And to me, the, if you know nothing about the film or when you go into it, when you first see the a flashing mirror, to me it suggests hypnotism. It suggests, like, you know, oh, and, yeah. and that then leads to brainwashing. And what's interesting is once you find out in the film what, that's, what the mirror is actually doing, it's not that. It's something totally different. But I think that's another way that that it could, it could, you could have that kind of connotation, and not what it originally, originally what, uh, what ultimately, I'm sorry, you figure out what the mirror is actually being used for later in the film. I had not thought, I had not thought that had not occurred to me quite well, honestly, but okay. Yeah, again, it's 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 kind of depends on whether it hits your mind that way or not. You think about that, but uh, I, something else too I want to say real quick about this opening theme is, I thought it really bore a lot of similarity to Joe Cocker's version of "With a Little Help from My Friends." That uh, descending, really? that not the whole theme, but okay. that descending three note guitar. Yeah, is is like is is sounds to me. I, I really thought that's what the song was when it first started. Now <laughs> now it goes into kind of another area between those. But just that three note descending guitar <laughs> guitar motif there, I really thought like are they using with a little help from my friends as the as the theme song? <laughs> and then my thought was, is this are they doing this legally? You know, and then <laughs> and then I realized okay, that's not what it is. But well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I tell you what, let's let's pause for a second, and I'll I'll put the, the opening music. Yeah, see if people it, out there it, agree. With that, and, yeah. And yeah, we'll see. We'll see if anybody else thinks you're as crazy as I. <laughs> yeah, you know, listen. Yeah, and then and then get a chance when you get a chance, go listen to Joe Cocker's version, and and see see what you see if you agree or disagree. But. <laughs>
so already we're seeing that uh, Rod and I have absolutely different. You know, we, we, we we saw two different movies apparently, and apparently, we're, apparently we're so. completely we're not agreeing on any scene. But that's all right. But <laughs> we're not even we're not even past the credits. We're already, <laughs> no, but I will say that uh, regardless of of uh, whether or not I hear that as mm-hmm. a Joe Cocker tune, mm-hmm. or at least a, the, yeah. that that three note uh, piece as as indicating some mm-hmm. kind of uh, possible mm-hmm. riff from it, mm-hmm. uh, I will say that. Um, one of the the standard complaints or criticisms that Leon Klamowski gets as a filmmaker, and one that Paul Nashie himself has leveled against him, is that uh, Klamowski was rather lackadaisical or inattentive to uh, the musical scores of a lot of his films. And I have to say that I agree with him. Um, Even some of Klamowski's best films have sections of them where the score at times works against the film Mm -hmm. itself. Uh, it's either uh, off-putting or it's um, uh, it seems to work counter yeah. to the the sequences that it's underlying, and uh, I think that that is a problem at times in different Klamowski yeah. films. It does seem as if he paid very little attention to the musical aspect, the mm. scoring aspect of his movies, and so I'm happy to report that uh, that is not a problem I had in this film. I no. felt that the score of this movie actually worked. Pretty much the it entire did. time. Yeah, I agree. There's some good, good, yeah, some good pieces of music in this film, and uh, they, they they seem they seem in appropriate places. They seem uh, tonally tonally well well chosen and mm-hmm. well done, mm-hmm. and so that is uh, you know I. Not 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 to be mean spirited or anything, but I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm my usual guideline for a Kalmowski score. Uh, or a film with a, a film made by Klamowski and its score is that roughly sixty to seventy percent of the time the score works yeah. if you're lucky. Yeah. But in this one, I got to say we're talking about ninety percent of the time to ninety five percent of the time. I felt the score worked really well. Yeah, so same here. Maybe maybe I'm just spending too much time <laughs> paying attention to the score in a Klamowski film. Well, the movie opens after the credits uh, with uh, a view of an old an old country house. Uh, it's a large place. It's obviously some kind of you know large villa. One might almost say a, uh, a slightly rundown mansion mm-hmm. to a degree. Uh, a blonde woman exits the exits the house, goes to a van, gets in, and drives away. She's dressed in what I would refer to as just kind of casual everyday, maybe even you know work clothes to a degree. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will learn later on that this woman's name is Julia. Yeah. Uh, she's blonde. She's a, a, a pretty woman, and I would just like to go ahead and mention the actress mm-hmm. uh, who I was really impressed with, and, and was shocked that I had not uh, paid more attention to her earlier. Her name is uh, Teresa Gimpera, mm-hmm. and uh, it seems like I have seen her in a few other things. Um, she's born in 1936, so by this, by the time she made this film, she's uh, 40. Mm-hmm. She's extraordinarily pretty. I've I've seen her in uh, Jess Franco's film Lucky the Inscrutable. Right, and that's a Franco that I still have never seen. I love it. I've it's heard a, it's really it's, entertaining. It's a, it's a, com- it's a comedy. Yeah, and it, there's a big split in Franco fandom about whether it's worth a damn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's wonderful. Uh, she played Berta in uh, People Who Own the Dark. And I do remember in that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she had a role in Spirit of the Beehive. She was in Hannah, Queen of the Vampires. So it's not as if this woman... Um, oh, she was also in Night of the Devils. 
which is oh, a film that I absolutely yeah. love. Now, I noticed she was also in the film with the, one of the greatest titles ever, but that you said was a bit of a disappointment, was the, was the Love Brides of the Blood Mummy, I believe. Yeah, I was the, not uh, going to bring that up. Yeah, I know. You've, you've, yeah, <laughs> I know that was a tough one. Well, it's a shame. Any, no, film, no film has a right to a title like that if it can't live up to it. So Yeah, and it doesn't live up to it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. the, uh, the thing about it is she is quite good in this film. Yeah, she and, is. Uh, She's a she's a beautiful woman. She spends a, a fair percentage of her time on screen um, nude, mm-hmm. as she's married to one character and sleeping with another. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, she she's she's quite good. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to state outright that I think that uh, the vast majority of the uh, actors in this film are excellent. I agree. All the way I thought the cast was very good in this. <clears throat> I think they do a fantastic job. I didn't have any. There were no points in the movie where I was kind of like going, "Okay, we're going to have to overlook the the kind of." Lack of, mm-hmm. lack of uh, an actor pulling his weight in this scene or that sequence mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think everybody does a good job, and I think she's part of that. Uh, so in this van, she uh, Julia drives uh, is, is driving along, and we cut to uh, an apartment where we meet Alfonso. Uh, Alfonso is a a very good-looking man who we immediately are informed by the film is gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, takes a call from Julia, says uh, bye to his, uh, I'm assuming, one-night stand or possibly male prostitute. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tells tells this fellow... <clears throat> he can stay. Basically, he tells him, you can stay at the place while I'm gone. Yeah, yeah I'll be gone for a few days. You can stay here yeah. if you want. Yeah. Uh, and and I, like I say, it's questionable as to whether this guy's a prostitute because mm-hmm. he does, you know, he, he he did leave some money for him, yeah. but it's hard to know if that's because he's leaving him some money because he wants him to pick up some food. It, it's it's not made clear. Right. Well, uh, she picks up Alfonso and uh, in the van, uh, they they discuss uh, pick, that they're going to go pick up Miguel next uh, at the dirt track. Mm-hmm. Cut to the dirt track where we see... Uh, dirt track bike bike racing, which, by the way, if you live through the seventies, that was a seventies thing, boy, was it ever? <laughs> and I, until this, I hadn't thought, I had not the heard about cross craze yeah, of the seventies. Oh, it was huge, yeah. and it's never really gone away. And I guess yeah. it's, I don't know enough about it to know how <laughs> how much it's ebbed and flowed over the years. Mm. But I, I mean, it definitely has ebbed and flowed. But in the seventies, man, motocross oh, was yeah. humongous, yeah. and I'm, I'm assuming it's just part of the whole. Um, motorcycle riding daredevil stuff that was just part and parcel of the 70s because of things like Evil Knievel and other daredevils I'm yeah. assuming well a combination of that and then also like films like Easy Rider and there were a lot of biker films that kind yeah. of kicked off the biker craze and I was honestly I was I was crazy about motorcycles uh, when I was too little to actually have one you know me and my older brother thought they were oh the my. coolest things in the world and, and we had I remember we had posters of Easy Rider on our on our wall and all this and my dad would take us to the drive-in to see some of the biker <laughs> films and uh my older brother actually was into him enough. Still, when he got old enough to he have a bike, he he actually had a had a motorcycle for a while. But by the time I was old enough to where I could have gotten one, I'd totally just I'd totally Didn't lost care. interest in it. Yeah. But I will tell anyone who's into motocrossing, I'm going to plug still one of my all time favorite documentaries is On Any Sunday, which a fantastic documentary made in the '70s about the motocross circuit. Uh, by the same guy who did the Endless Summer, which is a famous documentary on uh, surfers and surfing, and uh, he he made I think. I won't say Brian Brown is his name. I hope I'm getting that right. But if you get a chance to see On Any Sunday, even if you care nothing about motorcycles, it's a, a very witty, very beautifully filmed uh, uh, documentary. And it actually it just follows the the whole motocross circuit across the a whole year of competitions. And so you see everything from mountain climbing with bikes to to uh, racing on ice, you know, racing in the mud. 
Uh, Steve McQueen is in throughout the film basically just as himself on the motocross circuit because as everybody knows, Steve McQueen was an avid yeah. not only car racer but motor- motorcycle racer. And so, yeah, beautiful film. If you get a chance to check it out, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, but, yeah, but for this, for this film, uh, this is where we're introduced to our man, uh, Paul Nashie. Yeah, he plays Miguel, and uh, Miguel is a, uh, a dirt track racer. And this will be very much a metaphor, too. I mean, this whole thing, the yeah. first time we see him here becomes a metaphor for how he speaks of himself and refers to himself as the film goes on. You know, this yeah, it's it's the theme of the character, which is that he has mm-hmm. bad luck, because we're introduced to him, uh, quote-unquote, taking his helmet off. I'll come mm-hmm. back to that in just a second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and complaining that uh, he's out of the race because his clutch has gone bad. Mm-hmm. He's talking to, uh, I, I assume, two guys are, who are mechanics for him or something like this. And it's clear that this is exactly the kind of thing that's happened to him pretty frequently, and he mm-hmm. uh, he, do, he he's not happy about it. But he also just it's, it's almost as if he expects crap like this to happen to him. Yeah. Uh, before we get away from it, I do want to point out that mm-hmm. we cut to him sitting on the motorcycle um, for a very muddy track. There ain't a whole lot of mud on him or the bike. I just would like to point <laughs> yes, that yes, out. That was yeah. So when did you know maybe that clutch went bad real early in the race? I don't know. <laughs> like before it started. Uh, and I also like to point out that we do not see him with the helmet on, the bike helmet on. We see him pulling it away from his face and then holding it down in front of him. That's true. And that's because, come on, he's yeah, no way he's, he's putting that helmet on over that wig. <laughs> he's, he's wearing a very yeah. fine hair piece. Oh, yeah, it's a good one in this. And I, and, I, and I think, actually, it may have been two different hair pieces because once the, all those sequences in the van after they kidnapped the kids, mm-hmm. it looks like a different hair piece to me. Oh, I didn't there's even some, notice there's that. There's something right slightly that. different right. about the hairline. Yeah. And I, I know that I'm paying way too much attention to the two pay, to the two pay quotient and detail in this film, but I really do think that that was a different yeah. hairpiece, mm-hmm. or maybe it was just styled in a different way. I'm Could I'm be. I'm, 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 I'm going to move on because this is this is a road down which it is not going to benefit us to go. So anyway, but Vanessa is at the he is in the prime of his of his handsomeness here at this at this oh, era yeah. right here. So he's, yeah, seventy six. Yeah. He's yeah. A, he's a handsome virile yeah. looking dude yeah. with apparently shitty luck. <laughs> well, yeah, except except with the ladies and I, well, not good luck with that either. But at least he, he definitely. Know. But it depends on how you define luck with the ladies. Being that <laughs> being that this is a Paul Nashi script, he certainly uh, certainly is the object of many. Women's affection. I was about to say there yeah. there are two really attractive women that are yeah. that he's living in a house with at a, yeah. at a certain point, and uh, of course he has sex with both of them. Right, so. and the other attractive guy in the film is gay. How convenient is that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Quick question. Yes. Who is more attractive, the gay man or Nashi? Huh. Wow. I'd say probably conventionally more. More the gay man, I would say probably. I think he's probably so. got more of the leading man kind of looks. Let's talk about that actor real quick before yes. we get it. Before we get into just how weird his character is, mm-hmm. the actor playing the the gay character Alfonso is named Maximum Valde- Maximum Val- Valverde. 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 That is an incredible name. Maximo. Ma- Maximo Val uh, Valverde. Well, no, this is interesting. They have him listed as I think it's Maximo. I think it's, it's got to be. I, I think that's got to be a misprout. Although Maximum would be an would be an even better name. <laughs> I will thrust. That would be. You'd have to almost be that kind of that kind of guy. But he had a an extensive career uh, yeah. to the point where he's. Uh, I mean. His most recent credit, he's still alive. He's got a, a TV credit for, mm. me, for Medical Center in uh, 2017, so I'm mm. assuming he's still working just fine. Uh, but I don't, I didn't know much about this fella me at either. all. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen any of the any of mm. his work before this. Yeah. 
Oh, that's not true. Uh, there is one film that he was in that I have seen, which is a, a Jorge Grau film, the man who made uh, Living Dead at Manchester, yeah. New York, a film called Violent Bloodbath um, that he has a role in. I have seen that. But honestly, there's not much in his rather long career yeah. that I was uh, that I was really familiar with beyond that. And, of course, the, the reason uh, I was familiar with that is because of Jorge Grau, yeah. Uh, I don't remember him in uh, Ricardo Freitas' final film, Tragic Ceremony, but I know that he is apparently in it. And so, having seen him in this, and I, and regardless of what I'm going to end up saying about this character, mm-hmm. because I have a lot of mm-hmm. conflicting feelings about this character, the actor playing the character, this man is very good. Oh yeah, oh he does. He plays the role very, very well. I think. I think his character, uh, the term uh, loose cannon comes to mind. I think maybe yeah. that was this character's, for the, for the man, kind of man for, for whom that phrase was uh, was invented, I think. Not just loose cannon, but <laughs> but the, the, the character is, um, I mean, I'm going to go out and just mm. flat out say the man's a psychopath. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. he is. Oh, he I very mean, much so, yeah. <laughs> he's, he seems to have absolutely no empathy for another human being yeah. or their feelings or their desires. And a man who from the early on is like, this. you need to just put this guy down because he is going to screw things up royally yeah. for you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing he's very effective and helpful, sure. but Jesus, yeah. this guy is going to put this, yeah. this guy's going to screw it, screw it all. And, um, uh, well, we'll get to that. Anyway. Right. So the three of them are now loaded up in the van, uh, and uh, we cut to the night, and uh, we're at some kind of lover's lane, and we have two rich folks, two young rich folks, a man and a woman, who look like they've just come from some uh, shindig of some mm-hmm. sort. He's dressed in evening clothes, and she's dressed in a very you know, uh, <laughs> lo- lovely black gown. And they're uh, parked on the, what looks to be possibly a lover's lane. This is uh, Marissa... And Javier, uh, uh, Javier, Javier, yeah. yeah. And uh, they are they're there, and uh, they are making out. And it would appear just from the dialogue that uh, Javier has been uh, wanting to get Marissa in uh, in a place where she's amenable to such activity for quite some time. And mm-hmm. uh, this mm-hmm. this looks to be his lucky day, mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. up until the kidnappers show up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> our our our, our uh, duo of uh, Nashi and well Nashi's character whose name is Miguel. Miguel. So Miguel and Alfonso show up brandishing handguns and uh, grab them both and pull them into the back of the van that Julia is driving and they are off. So the kidnapping has begun. Mm-hmm. And you have to admit, this film wastes zero time oh, getting in, right? to the kidnapping. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're only a few minutes into this movie, and boom, we're there. The, mm-hmm. It's begun, and, and we're, we're off. Now, in the uh, the back of the van, we we have the, the four of them there, and uh, the, the usual questions that you would expect from... Um, you know, people in their uh, late teens, early twenties. I'm assuming these these characters are supposed to be in their early twenties. Oh yeah, the kidnap the kidnapping victim. So yeah, in their early twenties, they're they're asking questions and and uh, not getting any answers. And of course, the first thing that popped into my mind was, you two need to realize that these guys are not wearing masks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So unless there's some contingency plan that these folks have in mind. <laughs> They know that you know what they look like. Mm-hmm. So, this might be a problem. The van trundles along, and obviously they're going to wherever they're going to be holding these folks. Mm-hmm. And then, the first really odd thing in the film happens. And I've got a lot of questions about this. 
They're stopped by the cops. Right. Because there's been an accident. Right. And the police enlist them in transporting one of the still living victims of this car accident to the hospital. <laughs> now... You're wondering, is this common practice in Spain? For <laughs> Yes. Are there no ambulances in Spain? Because what the fuck? And and I'm sure we also have to get into the fact that they open up the back of the van and and yes. see all these people sitting in the back of this van and they, and, and, they, they, and without batting an eye like is this not look a, a, a little well Julia's smart enough to yeah, tell she the tells cops them that she's hey, got my, people my back friends there. my friends I'm taking I'm taking them yeah. home they're coming from yeah. a party yada 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 so that that's all well and good. And, and and they're they're hiding the guns so that and, and you know obviously the, the the two kidnapped victims are are well aware that they're under threat of being plugged if they do anything stupid. Well, sure, but I'm just thinking from a policeman's point of view, uh, I would have to think like, okay, this is the most mismatched <laughs> group of friends, <laughs> and this must have just been a really you can truly go extremely casual or extremely formal depending on how you know because they sure don't look like they came from the same place. <laughs> no, 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 no. But still, the cops. Mm, yeah. uh, you know, load load up this this car vic this car accident victim into the back of the van and tell him, okay, take the take, take it to take the, the hospital. hospital. <laughs> now, here's okay. All, uh, you've already stated some of the yeah. questions. What, what yeah. are there? No ambulances yeah. in Spain. Yeah. What the fuck is this common practice? Yeah. If I'm ever in Spain and I rent a car, am I going to be pulled over and forced to take somebody to a hospital? <laughs> what 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 the hell is yeah. happening here? Yeah. I, I just I would like to know. And like I say, maybe this is a cultural thing. Spain was a dictatorship, and up to that point, still, you know, yeah. we, we're still suffering the after effects of, of the dictatorship. And this yeah. is something that we're in that in between period. Maybe this 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 is the way they did things in Spain. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, how is not one of those cops getting in that van and riding to with, the hospital with them? with them? Yeah, yeah, it's it's That's, I, I, yeah, I, it, it's. I'm not saying it breaks the movie yeah. for me, but it's yeah. like. Okay, so this is, you know, all, this entire thing. Nobody's right. pretending this isn't Spain. Yeah. Nobody's pretending yeah. this is taking place somewhere else. So maybe this they're trying maybe, to tell us that Spanish, your average Spanish citizen, is just so up, upstanding and, and, you know, that you can trust the average Spanish citizen <laughs> to take you to the hospital without oh, that's the it. place, yeah. you know. <laughs> Surely you have stumbled across the answer to my question. <laughs> Say if, 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 if we were set in Germany, you know, they, they might all change into werewolves or something there while you're riding to the, to the hospital with them. But in Spain, or we don't have those Or mad scientists. I mean, oh, yeah. they could be mad Scientist, you never know. So, well, beyond the my my entire note for this sequence yeah. is the word "really" yeah. in capital letters yeah. and two question marks. Yeah. Really? <laughs> well, and despite the questions it makes you have and the 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 kind of strange logic questions, I, I will say that I do love in general, and you probably do too. You know, films of this nature where these kind of where odd things. That that could happen, pop up, and totally derail what's supposed to be, you know, the flawless plan. You know, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of these yeah. things in this film, and I'll be interested to see if there's some of them that you think are well placed and 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 believable, or if there's and if there's any others that just strike you as as really contrived. You know, it's, but on the whole, I love that kind of film. I do too. There, you know, where where the just people think they've got okay, we're getting from path A to Z here, and it's easy, and then just the craziest stuff happens that just you know because life is like that you know that just you know somewhere somewhere around from things from just start a, going from, wrong from, from immediate from, from a to z somewhere around that second yeah. or third vowel yeah. something just went batshit exactly you know? yeah exactly 
Well, um, so Alphonse, as they take off to take this poor man to the hospital, Alphonse mm-hmm. is laughing his ass off. Mm-hmm. Because he's amused by the fact that these cops take, you know, they they, yeah, they, yeah. they think we're heroes. Think yeah. about that. Think about that. They think we're heroes, and he's just laughing his ass off. He mm. thinks it's hilarious, and it, honestly, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> these people are in the middle of kidnapping two yeah. people, and the cops are right there, and, and it's great. But um, they then have a little discussion between, well, at least he and Miguel do, where Alphonse is like, "Okay, look." If, this guy's now seen us. Uh, the, the Javier gets gets sick mm-hmm. and lurches toward the door like he's going to try to get out of the van. Mm-hmm. And so handguns get produced again, and the the car accident victims definitely seen the guns by now. So Alphonse yeah. is Alfonso is very very much like okay, look, this guy. If we drop this mm-hmm. guy off at the hospital, he's now seen the guns. He's seen mm-hmm. our faces. He knows the cops know the van, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> If we leave this guy alive, he can identify us. This is all. This is all going to shit. And there's a, a lot of back and forth between him and Miguel because Miguel is has got a very hard and fast rule: we're not killing anybody. Mm-hmm. No one is dying here. Mm-hmm. Shut up about it. Alfonso is not on board and picks yeah. up. Yeah, <laughs> picks up a, a wrench mm-hmm. and uh, bashes the guy's head in. Yeah, and then rolls him out the back of the van. Yeah. yeah. Um. This is the moment where you realize that Alfonso is either a ruthless mm. guy or a psychopath. He's crazy. Right, right. Yeah, and that is that kind of interesting blend of those two or that question of those two balances because in some ways he may be the most practical in some ways simply because oh, yeah. the most committed to seeing whatever that they're going to see this through no matter what. Yeah. But I do think he enjoys his work a little too much, you know. And there's yeah, other aspects yeah. of his personality that are certainly cruel and sadistic. <laughs> but this scene really does set up very quickly the difference between him and Miguel. Miguel, on the other hand, obviously has admirable qualities, but is also unable to keep things from going, you know, pear shaped as quick as they do. You know, he's yeah. and, and he's, there comes a point in the film where after you've heard him say no more killing about four or five times, where you kind of think like, you know, you probably should just give up on that Miguel at this point because you obviously can't really stop this guy, you know, even though you're no. the larger guy and you're supposedly the the leader or whatever, you know, this this you know, you, you don't seem to be able to, to, to stop this guy. But see that's taking just things it. the way he I, know, I don't so. I don't I don't agree with you. I don't think Miguel is ever at any point in time either the leader in actual fact or even thinks that he is the leader. Okay. I think that the, the what they consider the person they consider to be the is leader the guy we haven't seen is yet. the is the character we've not met yet mm-hmm. in the film. Mm-hmm. And uh I think that is a very telling. It's just a very telling fact about mm. the main attribute of the person that's "quote unquote" the leader. Mm. So we'll get to that. Okay. Well, um, that's that 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 body goes rolling out the back of the van, mm-hmm. and uh, it it's 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 that's that that tells us where we're going. And I think that um, I can't decide when to have the conversation about. Um, Stereotypical gay characters in the seventies. Yeah. Well, let's let's go with sixties, seventies, and eighties. Let's say because they're either murderers or they're stereotypes or they're whatever you know. Or they're they're perverts or yeah, right. Or all. Now the the, the one thing that we can say about the Alfonso or comic relief or something. Right. Right. The one thing we can say about the Alfonso character is he's not uh, uh, a comically stereotypical, over the top gay man. He's not. He's not. 
he's not uh, flouncing. He's right. not, you know, it's, it's not the typical, you know, mm-hmm. um, quote unquote fairy character yeah. that gets played for laughs in right. movies. Sadly, still to this day, because mm-hmm. it's like I don't know how long it was funny, but it appears appears to have been funny for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. And then the, uh, but the thing is, I mean, there is a a rather unfortunate aspect to a lot of gay characters as portrayed in thrillers, most especially in that, uh, gay male is definitely almost, man, a lot of the time coded as, uh, a broken criminal, a a pervert, a sick person, someone who's, uh, a murderer, Mm -hmm. uh, overly emotional and someone who can't, who clearly is so far outside the human norm that murder for them is, Mm -hmm. is, is no big deal. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, one of my favorite examples to point to as much as I love the film, I think it's a phenomenal movie. Mm -hmm. There's no other way to read the character of Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs as anything Mm -hmm. other than, uh, you know, uh, clearly he's a, he's a, a serial murderer, yeah. and he's a he's 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 a gay man mm-hmm. attempting to you know craft a a female suit, a yeah. female skin suit to wear. Yeah, and it's um, you don't have to look very far to find other gay characters in movies who are either the villain or um, mm-hmm. uh, the henchman of the villain. I mean, they're the two gay characters in Diamonds Are Forever, for yeah. God's sake. Yeah. Um, and so you have this. Um, Stereotypical villain or bad guy character that pops up in movies repeatedly for decades, yeah. and the idea is if we just code them as gay immediately, if we if we show them having uh, gay male characteristics, mm-hmm. then we've already we're already halfway to painting this person as someone that a you can't trust, b is possibly a murderer, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that this movie is flirting with that idea without going all the way because like I say there are no characteristics about this man that you know that are over the top or flamboyant yeah which puts you in the position of going okay okay so they're not going that route but it is odd that the most sadistic and dislikable and yeah. nasty character in the movie the one who does the most reprehensible actions yeah is the gay character. I know. And you, yeah, it's not something you can ignore. You know, it's like you, you want to take a, each film on a film by film basis. And I think you have to look at these, these each film and say, you know, what does it significantly serve something crucial to the story that this character have this particular sexual preference? In other words, would the story have gone any different? Would the character come across any different if he was just a heterosexual Psychopath, you know, or right. just in this film, um, and I know in some cases you could make the argument that, well, it means that he's not susceptible to the manipulations that Miguel is from the female characters, which is true. You could also say that it it gives him an incentive to try and help Javier through the problem. We find out that Javier has, although he's Javier has, although he's doing it for his own purposes, Alfonso, the attention he plays to, to pays to pays Javier. Him, yeah, true. Um, I don't, but again, ultimately, I'm not sure really if, if how necessary it, it was. The, the I don't think that it you, was, yeah, I don't think it so, was necessary at all. And that does make you think that it was added as something to make him more dislikable. You know, that, that does make Possibly. you think that it, you know. It, it, it seems that, it seems as if it may have been a writing shortcut to mm. point to this character as what the character eventually is. And the thing is, although we'll discuss 
the most disturbing aspect of what this character does in the film as we get to it. But this is something that at the time I'm sure would not have been thought of as anything more disturbing than anything else that was going on in films at the time. Agreed. Yeah. D- different thrillers and different yeah. uh, crime movies mm-hmm. where you would have uh, uh, particularly nasty characters who, uh, for whatever reason are societal outsiders, mm-hmm. uh, clo- you know, not, not necessarily closeted gay men or not even men who are having to hide their sexuality in some way, but just, people who are coded in a certain way as to present them as, um, you know, outsider figures or, you know, loners for some, yeah. some particular reason. But, and, and homosexual rape or male to man to man rape would never be portrayed in these films as titillating. Like, unfortunately oh, no. rape of females was often was. Right, know, right, so. right. And that, and that's a major difference as well, because sure. these movies, um, although, uh, I think this film would fit the category of a film primarily aimed at a male audience, mm-hmm. um, mainly because of the exploit, the exploitive, uh, aspects of, I mean, we have three, uh, female characters on screen who are nude mm-hmm. at various points. And so I think that points directly toward, you know, the, oh, yeah. the, you know, getting, you know, getting those naked bodies on screen, those naked female bodies on screen. Uh, and there is no, um, there is no, uh, male nudity at all. Right. So, right. Kind, they kind of show their card with that, don't you think? A little bit. I believe. <laughs> Before we go too much further into the film, let's talk about our two kidnapped victims mm-hmm. and the actors who play them. Um, Marissa is played by Maria Jose Cantudo, mm-hmm. who we have seen before on this show uh, a couple of times. Yes, ma'am. She has a small role in Horror Rises from the Tomb, in yeah. which she gets her heart cut out. Cut out, yes. Um, and then she has a, a larger role in... The Frenchman's Garden, just a couple of years after this. Um, I think, am I wrong? Are those the three instances in where she worked with Paul I Nashie? believe so. I believe so. I, I think in his commentary that he did for Horror Rises uh, on, its, on its first DVD release, I think he, he mentions or points her out that she actually, for a while, was doing quite well. Uh, had uh, Her star kind of rose, and she actually got quite a lot of roles and was pretty popular. Um, he, uh, It's funny because he, he, I think, is not... Uh, says well, yeah, something yeah. about working with her on this film that's yeah. maybe slightly negative, but then it's funny that he used her again in Frenchman's Garden, though. So. Well, she's a beautiful, beautiful yeah. woman, and my mm-hmm. assumption is that she may have had some uh, some some, uh, box, some yeah, yeah. box office clout there. As a matter of fact, in his um, in his autobiography, uh, he makes mention of working on this film. I was reunited with Maria Jose Cantudo in Sequestro. I had first worked with her in Horror Rises from the Tomb, her film debut. At times, I had a job to put up with her prima donna behavior. <laughs> I was surprised that a filmmaker of the caliber of producer Raphael Gill would call me up every night to inquire about his star and to remind me to take the utmost care of her. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, apparently you might want her because she's beautiful, yeah, yeah. she's a star yeah. and she's going to get some, you know, she's going to get some box office, but mm. at the same time, mm. she was a prima donna. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe she used maybe uh Miss Cantudo used channeled that uh maybe divaness into this character because this character mm-hmm. certainly has some moxie for sure. Certainly does. She is uh I'm not going to say Spoiled little rich girl, but mm. that's that's a close approximation of yeah. what you might want to think about here. Although she's yeah. also pretty damn she's smart. Yes, yeah. exactly. She may be spoiled, but she's yeah, she's not a fool. No, and she is able to work her uh, she's able to work her wiles on uh, Miguel at the very least. 
uh, and is uh, savvy enough to know that being the attractive female that she is, mm-hmm. she will be able to have some sway over this guy because there's there's no way that she can't tell she cannot tell that mm-hmm. this man is uh, attracted to her physically, right? Which would be pretty much any heterosexual male, yeah, within, exactly, yeah. within viewing range, <laughs> yeah. within line of sight. Yeah. Let's put it that way. The actor playing Javier is Tony Isbear, mm-hmm. who we have seen in, uh, well, let's see. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, Inquisition. Yes, uh, Inquisition for sure. And, uh, and uh, quite a, well, yeah. I, I've seen him in a number of other films. I mean, he was also in, my God, The Rift. That Oh, right. Good Lord, from 1990. People, if you've never seen The Rift, never yeah. see The Rift. <laughs> Count yourself lucky and move forward with your life. Because the rift is something you just want to avoid. It's by uh, Juan. It's it's another joy from the man who made pieces. Oh yes, uh, Juan Picard Simone. Mm-hmm. And it's not a movie that you want to enter into lightly or at all. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 not good. But um, like I say, he he also made uh, Rest in Pieces with Jose Larraz in the in the mm-hmm. late '80s. But during this period of time, he uh, was in uh, the Nashi scripted film Cross of the Devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also in the Dracula saga for Mr. Klamowski. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was another actor who was in uh, Ricardo Freitas' final film, Tragic Ceremony. Okay. So, um, and, and I think that we both remember him quite well from Inquisition. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because his role is, uh, his, his role is I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a, a pivotal role, but it is a, a really interesting role, his, his kind of... Uh, uh, the younger man being brought along by Nashi's uh, older priest character in yeah. Inquisition, mm-hmm. and uh, in this he plays uh, Javier, uh, uh, a young a, a young man uh, from a pretty well off family, mm-hmm. probably not nearly as well off as Marissa's family as we are, as we start to see the two mm-hmm. the two uh, families yeah. as they are informed about the uh, their children being kidnapped. But he seems to have he seems to be a kid who has a pretty good head on his shoulders, but as we'll find pretty soon, also has a bit of a problem yeah, that's going to cause him uh, going to cause him some trouble down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get back to the house that we saw at the beginning of the film, and this is where we're going to have uh, the, our kidnapped victims held. They're put in a basement cell with uh, a couple of beds down there, and. Um, we see our fourth kidnapper. We've in, we've seen yeah. our three main kidnappers, and here's the man who appears to have been possibly the brains of the situation. Or, but it, I don't know that it's ever really stated outright mm-hmm. who came up with this plan and who who structured it all. But mm-hmm. it does appear as if this was definitely helped along or pushed along. Mm-hmm. Maybe even the whole concept being you know was given birth from the mind of our fourth character here, who is Julia's older husband, Oscar. Uh, the first thing you'll notice about him is uh, he's blind. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he is wearing some funky contacts that make his eyes look hideously weird. Yeah, yes. Um, we'll talk about them contacts later. Yeah. That's some messed up shit. Anyway, <laughs> so our two kidnapped victims are put in the basement. Quickly, the dynamics between the uh, four kidnappers is set up and we kind of get a feel for who is who and just what is going on here. Mm-hmm. Oscar seems very sure of himself. Oscar seems um, to be the person who, I mean, this is his house mm-hmm. and... Uh, uh, although it does appear to be uh, be uh, run down over the course of the movie, we do learn a good bit about how he feels about the rest of his family. Um, his plan is to get uh, his chunk of this money, he and his wife's chunk of this money, and the two of them are going to go, you know, all of them are going to go away and uh, live a life somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And he's well aware that uh, his his uh, 
his his family is going to take possession of this place and probably sell it off. And yeah. they, they've been waiting for him to die. They just want to get rid of him anyway. Mm-hmm. So that night, we are introduced to the two the two married the the two married people laying in bed, and we get some more conversation between the two of them. And we kind of get the dynamic of their relationship, and it's um, <laughs> well. <laughs> it's one-sided to say the least. <laughs> yeah, Oscar can't see his wife's face, and that's probably yeah. the only thing yeah. keeping him sane right now. Because right. quite honestly, she clearly is not happy with the relationship. Yeah. She has absolutely no desire to be in bed with this man. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the course of the film, we we it's it's hard not to notice that she's just not really into, into him. Them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and she apparently hasn't been into him for a while. Mm-hmm. Then we see Javier in. Um, uh, on that same night, and uh, he's got the shakes, and uh, of course we all know what that means in movies. He's the a junkie. Means he's a junkie. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't mean he's cold. It means that he's withdrawing. No, there. It doesn't mean he needs a blanket. That means mm-hmm. he's in withdrawals. Mm-hmm. So we we establish that Javier is a junkie. Alfonso um, is kind of taunting him about this. He's kind of, he's come to check on the two uh, prisoners, and he ta- he taunts him a little, and he taunts Marissa a little bit with this piece of information, and then. Uh, Punches Javier out, yeah. so that you know he can, he can sleep. <laughs> he, can, he can sleep through yeah. his his yeah. his little junkie fit here. Uh, this is uh, something that we're going to return to because I have a problem with Javier being a junkie. And yeah, and I want to. It'd be interesting to see if it's the problem or at least the question I have too. So we'll have to, to see. Yeah, take yeah, yeah. Says. Well, let's let's address it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, although I. No, let's not address it right now. Let me okay. let me go back to this. We okay. we go back upstairs. It's the same night, and Julia goes. Uh, uh, she she leaves the bedroom of her husband and she goes off to Miguel's room. Of and this is where she we does. Because what would you do when you got Paul Nashy, your woman, and you've got health, sexually healthy woman, and you've got Paul Nashy boarding in your house? What else do you do? But you hop into bed with him and have sex with him. <laughs> what else would you do? <laughs> you got to get in line behind Eva Leon and Emma Cohen and, and you know, and the long, endless line of women who. <laughs> of course, Helga Lene. Yeah, who, 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 who sought, sought Mr. Nashi's bed. In the, in, in, who in, sought in the comfort in the arms of the Nashi. <laughs> <laughs> Spread that musk around, yeah, ladies. That's right. Yes, that's right. It's a it's a damn fine lubricant. <laughs> Nevertheless. Okay, now I've derailed myself. Okay, hang on, hang on. So... My apologies for that for mm-hmm. that image, people. You mm-hmm. may uh, you may apply for brain bleach at <laughs> at your local doctor's office. So she goes, you know, she's she's in bed. That we we establish through the dialogue between the two of them that mm-hmm. they they've been carrying on for some time, and the two mm-hmm. of them have their own plans for when the money mm-hmm. uh, from this kidnapping scheme is obtained. Uh, they're going to be going off together. Um, she has a couple of interesting lines of dialogue here. She, this is where we learn that she's definitely, she's quote unquote, never loved her husband, mm-hmm. uh, which yes. is a back asswards way of kind of getting across the point that she appears to have married this guy for his money or at least for some stability yeah. because whether he's cash poor or not, and definitely cash poor enough to be involved in a criminal yeah. enterprise, such yeah. as a kidnapping, certainly he owns this house. And so he, he may be like land rich to a certain degree, but mm-hmm. you know, to actually pull the money out of that, he'd have to, he'd have to sell off all this stuff. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. And she talks uh, a little bit about how it's gotten worse for her. Mm-hmm. Both because now she's sleeping with Miguel, and so she kind of has you know something that she considers to be better. But also, she talks about her husband's eyes and the and blank pupils. And what did that make you think of? Uh, did you I don't know. It's, it's nightmare fuel for me. But okay, well, 
maybe this is a reach here, but knowing Mr. Nashy as we do, I had to feel like it was a nod to Poe, the Telltale Heart. Oh, yeah. Okay, now, I yes, would not yes. have thought that had it's not, you know, if I'd seen this movie and, 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 and Paul Nashy had no association with it, it probably wouldn't even occur to me. But as soon as she started talking about, and she you know, mentions it later in the film, as soon as she started talking about being obsessed with his pale eyes, you know, I, yeah. I was just like, oh, yeah, this has got to be a little, 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 a little nod, to, little nod to Poe here, I think. So that's, uh, <laughs> you're right. Although that association did occur to me, it occurred to me later on in the movie. Oh, okay. Um, Right before a certain character's death, okay. shall we say? Cool. But, cool. but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't really thought. Yeah, you're right. That mm-hmm. that it, it, I guess it didn't 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 tweak my obsessive uh, <laughs> obsessive uh, uh, observation skills mm. quite. You know, I, I didn't see her as the obsessive that uh, mm. that that character spirals into. Yeah. Uh, mainly because the character never really does become bad, which I think right, which, right. which I think is really neat. Uh, she's yeah, she's a very stable character, and uh, and and. Even at odd times. Well, let's just say right now that some of these characters, not all of them, but a lot of them have a, haven't had are effectively written to the point that I think that some of them evoke some sympathy in their characters. Oh, definitely, a, a, including including Oscar. I think I think there's a lot of I feel I think yeah. Oscar has a lot of uh, something sympathetic about his character at times. And and the the turn of moving from just an observer of him mm-hmm. for me anyway mm-hmm. does come later in the movie. Yeah. But the thing is, is that I always, from from this scene on, I feel a lot of sympathy for Julia all too. the way through the oh, film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of that is, I think, in the writing, but honestly, mm-hmm. her performance is really strong. It is. Yeah. Uh, if I if I had to point to an MVP in this movie, mm-hmm. um, I'd point to that actress, Ter- uh, Ter- uh, Teresa Gimpera, yeah. uh, I think, is is the most valuable player in this film. She, I think she I, does yeah. an excellent job, and she she's uh, she's got a lot of difficult things to pull off, mm-hmm. and I think she does it pretty well. I do too. Yeah, yeah. I think, and and her character isn't doesn't always do what you think she's going to do or what you predict that she's going to do. I have to say, it does make me want to go back and. Um, Watch Lucky the Inscrutable again just to see. She plays a character called Cleopatra, and there's a part of me now that wants to go back oh, yeah. and see how what she was like playing a, a com- playing in a comedic story. Yeah, because you know this is this is straight drama. Yeah, I just, I just wonder what she was like, you know, just a few years earlier as a you know as I'm assuming a comic character. We'll mm-hmm. see. Uh, nevertheless. Um, the next morning at breakfast, Alfonso uh, Alfonso lets Miguel know, hey, that. Uh, uh, y'all might want to, you know, be careful when you're screwing around because, you know, yeah, I can hear you. Her, 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 her husband yeah. might wake up. And he's not not deaf. That's <laughs> not his hand. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, exactly. He's not deaf, and you might want to watch out for that kind of thing. Down in the basement, Javier finds that uh, finds a window in their cell and notices that it's uh, boarded up. And the two of our two prisoners come up with a plan to uh, uh, try to get the bo- get, pull the boards down off that window, and see if they can use that as a pl- as a way to escape. And they come up with the idea of uh, uh, Marissa distracting uh, Miguel, so that they definitely will have enough time for him to spend for for uh, Javier to spend prying these boards loose from this window. So, so just that that same day, they they put into effect this plan, and uh, <laughs> uh, it's an effective plan because uh, what it is is she tells Miguel that uh, she she insists on showering once a day. And she throws in a little insult there, which mm. I thought was kind of neat. Just, I'm sure it's not something you would understand, <laughs> but uh, yeah. but I, 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 you know, she describes yeah. that she feels, ter- you know, she would she would feel awful if she wasn't able to shower. Miguel, is, we as viewers would feel awful. Yeah, if yeah, she we feel, able yeah, to. If she, she needs to shower, she I think so. Shower. Yeah, so uh, he he acquiesces to this, and uh, then we have the the first shower scene in the movie. 
which is uh, you know I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie and claim that I didn't enjoy getting to watch uh, that actress in a shower <clears throat> yeah, at all. No, no complaints. But she's very much playing up keeping Miguel's attention because he's in the bathroom mm-hmm. with her, keeping an eye on her. Mm-hmm. And at first, he's trying to not be you know the yeah. the obvious, leering. The le- like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the obvious pervert that all of us would be. But she's just talking to him, yeah. and to keep to keep his attention as well as I mean, I don't think she needed to talk. But she informs mm-hmm. him, "Look, I, you know, we know what you're doing here. I'm mm-hmm. gonna, you know, I can tell you right now, my parents aren't gonna try to call the cops. But I do think that Javier's parents will probably end up calling the police. You might want to take that into account." The house then gets a visit from the uh, little old lady who lives next door. <laughs> Because her dogs have gone missing and are somewhere on the uh, this this uh, estate's grounds, so she comes over, um, comes in for tea, meets Alfonso, who they introduce as yeah. Oscar's nephew, and uh, here's another moment where Julia kind of shows her. Yes. her intelligence by you know he's Alfonso wondering why are you dragging me into you know this although he plays it off too but. Yeah, he plays, la- it, he plays it well. She later explains, like, look, any neighbor that's nosy, if you think she's not going to notice these extra people around here, you know. So we, yeah. she, she said, let's go ahead and give her a story. And I thought that was, yeah, that's yeah. very clever of her to do that. Which which is which is great. That night, this is the second night, and the reason they haven't, um, the reason they're they're waiting a couple of days before they call the parents is so that the the parents will become a, become a little bit worried and therefore hopefully a bit more pliable and willing to actually go along with this whole scheme mm-hmm. a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. So the second night, um, in bed that night, Oscar asks, you know, um, Oscar asks his wife what Marissa is like, uh-huh. and he's got this he's got this grin on his face, and his wife says, "Well, why don't you just run your hands all over, <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. you'll know what she looks like." And uh, Oscar asks her with this big grin on his face, "What are you jealous?" Mm-hmm. And she starts laughing so hard yeah. that you think she's going to pass out. Yeah. Yeah. And the look on Oscar's face yeah. goes from this this like kind of leering laughter to the realization that uh, this is incredibly funny to her. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't say anything funny. I thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, I think that's the moment where he realizes that his wife is not going to be jealous of him no. in any way, shape, or form. And, and we start I, realizing that she's close to cracking up. <laughs> that she's like starting to lose it a little. <laughs> maybe. I mean. Uh, I understand why she found it funny, yeah, but she yeah. might have wanted to keep that might a little bit better under exactly. control. Yeah, yeah. We now are introduced to Marissa's parents talking at home, mm-hmm. um, discussing the fact that their daughter isn't home, mm-hmm. and the her father is, thinks that this is she's just not home tonight. And the mom goes, "She wasn't here last night either." Yeah. You might want to start paying attention. Yeah. And uh, Javier's parents talk, uh, talk by the phone, and, and the. Javier's parents seem to be in a, a pretty happy relationship, although we don't get much information right. about their relationship. But uh, they're becoming a little bit worried, although they, being being what I would refer to as just normal folk, mm-hmm. aren't as concerned about their son not being home as they might have been if their child was a, a female. Right. And we also they're like, yeah, hey, he's sowing wild yeah. oats, you know. Yeah. No, we started, and we're getting these little hints that, that Marissa's mom is, is, is maybe Marissa and her mom might not have to be on the best of terms yeah. because her mom certainly seems less concerned than, than, the, yeah. Yeah, than the husband. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, her, her mom has been aware that, you know, yeah. apparently for some time, Marissa sometimes doesn't come home. Something of a free spirit. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, the next morning we have this kitchen discussion. Um, 
where uh, Miguel says, okay, today we call them. And uh, Alfonso asks once again about killing the kids and yeah. pointing out that no matter where we go, mm-hmm. there's a little thing called extradition. Yeah. And yeah. these kids know what we look like. Mm-hmm. And if we go, if you decide to go to a, mm-hmm. go to some place, they know our names, they know what we look like. And you know, we can be dragged back to this country and put yeah. in prison or, 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 Executed. Once again, taking at face value, you know, he's he's, he's right, right. anyways. <laughs> yeah. Javier, this 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 morning, Javier's managed to get managed to get the, the window cleared, uh, and we see that it's actually a barred window and it's even got wire mesh across it, so yeah. they're not getting out through that thing. Right. Uh, this is our second shower scene. And Marissa is uh, is playing up her her loveliness for all that she can, and finally, the yeah. poor old Nashy just can't resist any longer. <laughs> steps into the shower with her and starts kissing her, and she responds in kind because <laughs> of course well, she hey, would. You know how could you not? <laughs> oh Lord! So of course now we have Miguel in a relationship with both mm. the attractive women that are in the house, and this is. Uh, that's pretty typical, I guess. I, I put it that way anyway. It's yeah, I guess that's about par for the film, course. I was really surprised the nude sunbathing neighbor never got in on the yeah, act yeah, we'll, there. <laughs> we'll get to that. Get to, yeah. You want to talk about least valuable player? Yeah. That well, actress yeah. there. But we'll get to that in a moment. When she gets back down, uh, Javier exp- says, hey, look, I, you know, I, I got the window uncovered, but there's no way we're getting through it. She says, hey, why don't we use this mirror? We can mm. signal someone and try mm. to get someone to at least notice mm. that we're here. Um, we then see uh, Miguel at a payphone, and he calls each family. And um, this is a very smart thing. This part mm. of the plan you mm. understand completely yeah. because these are two families who don't don't associate don't associate with each other, mm-hmm. and so they've kidnapped. They've got two deals going on. They're mm-hmm. they, they're calling each family. They're keeping them separate. They're not telling them that they're you know they kidnapped a couple. They're just saying we kidnapped your child. Mm-hmm. And so they've got two things going on here. They're going to get a ransom from both families. Smart move. But I did, I I can't decide how much I like or dislike the the thing where the, there's yeah, a the cop, cop standing out there outside. waiting to be the next one in the phone booth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, again, I guess. I, I thought it was. I kind of chuckled at it. I mean, it's not a huge. It's not bad. But it's, it, yeah, it's just. I guess to kind of just ramp up the, you know, just to kind of again the knowledge that you know this could go really sideways at any point. You know, at any saying. point. Well, this is where we meet uh, the 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 nude neighbor, the nude mm-hmm. sunbathing neighbor, who apparently I guess just lives on the other side yeah. of the house. Is yeah. you got the, yeah. the nosy old nosy lady, old lady on, on one side, yeah. and, the, and the 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 hot blonde who cannot act. <laughs> yes, I know. On the other side. She is the one who sees the mirror flashes mm-hmm. and uh, gets... Uh, thinks she's being leered at. Yeah, she thinks she's being leered at, which I didn't quite comprehend. I mean, like, does she think someone's photographing her? Yeah, it's just... I, I mean, know. It's sunlight's like, glinting she... off of a camera lens? Maybe. It's think? just... Yeah. <laughs> and this is the very next scene. We see uh, Marissa's mother in bed with her lover. This is definitely not the husband. The lover is the manager of the bank that Marissa's dad owns. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so they have a little conversation there, and uh, this seems. Um, I, I love this conversation because it's 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 good enough dialogue between these two characters that it's mm. believable, but at the same time, it is so typical of a woman, a married woman involved with mm. uh, so, someone out uh, having an extra an extramarital mm. affair. It's so typical in that. Her feelings are that this is going to, you know, this is this this relationship, this extramarital affair is going to turn into something that will end the relationship. And it's clear that the man is like, eh, do we really want to 
want to do that because you know my job and therefore yeah. any future yeah. income I have is kind of contingent on <laughs> yeah. me remaining employed. <clears throat> right. And it's your husband that employs me. <laughs> so it's clear that this extramarital affair is in its um, early to middle stages yeah. <laughs> where there's still hope alive and the yeah. one that's trying to have some kind of hope that this is going to be the relationship that that makes her happy for a, mm-hmm. for a longer period of time and the the uh, the other person in the relationship the guy yeah. is pretty much aware that he's still on safe ground yeah, stringing this along and yeah. letting this play out as it is he's probably thoroughly happy with the situation yeah you know? yeah you know, but but that's interesting so now we have some kind of idea that you know possibly you know, some of the things that Marissa has let drop in just casual conversation she may know about her either this affair or mm. the fact that her mother possibly has slept with other people mm. outside the marriage as well. But we're giving we're being given that information up, up front for yeah. some reason. Um, uh, the the nude neighbor who is now clothed uh, mm. <laughs> does does get the the local uh, the local cop the the cop that uh, mm. supposedly like the. I'm not sure how this works in Spain. No, I'm not either. But he's sort of that cop that everybody knows. That's like, yeah, yeah. That he's like yeah. assigned assigned yeah. to this area. Yeah, and it's clear he's an, he's an older guy, mm-hmm. and he you know he's he's I would almost say like one step above security guard to a yeah. certain degree. Yeah. But she she explains what about the about the the flashing mm-hmm. light on her earlier, and it's coming from that house over there. And the cops like that house is the, yeah. is owned by a blind guy and she's yeah. like yeah yeah right now I need you to go over there so she and kind she of just, forces him well and flirts with him incessantly at the same time you know yeah, and I know. this guy's like okay he's old enough to be your dad but she's like just apparently flirts with everything <laughs> as far as I can tell and does it poorly and does anyway, well yeah. Yeah, yeah anyway so the local cop goes okay fine I'll go and check out the house and, and let's just say I this find. is our friend Louie and, Dean, and Dooney this oh is, yeah uh, yes, sorry. We've, yes yes our good friend Louie Louis and Dooney who we've seen in many Many, many films. Uh, the man had, I think, over 200 credits uh, in his career, amazing career. And he has played very many, very varied roles, I will say. Uh, yeah, well over 200 credits to yes. this man, mm-hmm. for this man. Oh, he was in Kill McQueen of the Amazons. Yeah, he was. And, uh, Kill McQueen of the Jungle. Night of the Howling Beast, because this man was Sekakon. Sekakon. That's right. <laughs> he was in The Devil's Possessed. He was in Exorcismo. Exorcismo, uh, mm-hmm. oh man, um, he was in the Lorelai's Grasp. He played the mayor in that, mm-hmm. and uh, he was in one of my favorite movies, Rico. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's Christopher the, Mitchum. Yes, yeah, 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 Boucher. yeah. That is a classic. That, I don't know. If well, I know no, well, classic, classic but I do classic, love it. Yeah, classic, in, in classic and enjoyable sense, and I will not say yeah, classic yeah, in yeah. a revered I'm, sense, I'm, but yeah. I'm, I, I, I am a fan. But yeah, it is always great to see him. Doctor Jekyll in the Werewolf. He was yeah, he was Otvos. He was Otvos. Otvos, yes. So yeah, yeah. This is uh, it is it is great to see him playing this. You know, mm. kind of half-hearted, mm. you know, yeah, o- older saying. older cop character <laughs> in this movie. So. Oh, so much fun, so much fun. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought him up because I, I honestly I'd mm. forgotten to bring attention to him. Um, well, so he goes to uh, Oscar's house, mm. rings the bell, and explains, "Hey, you know, hey, there's been this complaint, and just to put every, you know, put this ridiculousness to rest, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll look around the house and mm. put all this away and be done with it." Well, Miguel and Alfonso realize we need to move mm. these kids because he's gonna he's gonna end up coming down to the basement. And he's going to find them, and we're going to have to explain ourselves. So they decide to move the kids, or move our kidnap victims, I should say. Mm-hmm. We have a little close call in one of the upstairs hallways, and Marissa 
saves the day. She steps out into the hallway and covers for them by calling Oscar uncle and explaining mm-hmm. that she decided not to go out. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a well-played scene, and it's a well-shot scene because... Mm. You have no idea why she's doing this, right. but just past her, you can see that Alfonso is standing there with a gun to yeah. Javier's head. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the easiest way to read this is she realizes that if she doesn't do something, yeah. Javier can end up with a bullet in his head. Right. Yeah. And I do love Nashi's acting in this because yeah. he like literally has no idea what to do. Right. And it's yeah. just hanging and it's just <laughs> hanging back behind Alfonso, like, what the fuck is happening? Oh my god. <laughs> And uh, it's 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 a very yeah. well done thing. But I like this whole scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just... And Oscar, Oscar and Julia handle it very well. They smooth mm-hmm. right over it, and mm-hmm. the cop is none the wiser. No, you know, he doesn't find anything, and mm-hmm. we're good. No le quiero, Miguel. Nunca le he querido. Pero desde que tú y yo hemos decidido marcharnos juntos cuando esto termine, me repugna. Él me ama sin haberme visto. Y sus ojos son sus manos que recorren tu cuerpo. Y aunque no vea, le gusta clavar sus pupilas blancas en las mías, como si en realidad pudiera leer en mis ojos. No puedo más, Miguel. Ya queda poco, Julia. Hay que saber esperar. Solo me compensan estas madrugadas. Son las únicas horas que me encuentro mujer. Las demás horas del día soy como un perro. Un perro lazarillo. Cuando le preparo la comida, cuando se la sirvo. Cuando me pide que demos un paseo por la calle. Y él cree que cuando tengamos el dinero, todo será distinto. Y seguirá igual, exactamente igual. Seguirá con su mirada muerta. Con sus manos que parecen ver... No sé qué hacer, Miguel. No sé qué hacer. Well, that night, uh, Alfonso comes down to the uh, the basement cell and uh, ties Marissa to the bed mm-hmm. quite unexpectedly. Yeah. Tapes up her mouth. Uh, shoots Javier up, who's been over there shaking again, like no. he's the, he's the the withdrawal <laughs> junkie. Mm-hmm. Shoots him up with uh, some dope that he's brought, and then turns him over on his stomach, pulls his pants down, and mm-hmm. rapes him. Yeah. This is the moment where Alfonso's character uh, goes from being um, a hideous, murderous sadist to a hideous, murderous rapist sadist, yeah, yeah. and it becomes that much more um, harsh a yeah. film yeah. because we've yeah. gone we've gone from some pretty terrible stuff mm. to something that's even more disturbing mm. for. For yeah. for most people, and I don't yeah. and I and I don't just mean rape. I mean the way this was may have been intended, as well to be something that's disturbing to the audience. This film is aimed at well, it's, being the male audience. Well, and and depending on I don't know if this is intentional, but from the way it's edited, it basically leaves you believe that he raped him after he was already dead. <laughs> and that's just it. He doesn't know he's necessarily yeah. killed him, and we don't yeah. know how long it would have taken for him to die from what turns mm. out to be an overdose. Because the next mm. morning. Uh, Miguel finds uh, Javier dead, and uh, Marissa is flipping out because obviously he gave him a little. You know, mm. Alfonso gave him a little bit too much, and he died. But <clears throat> here's where we get to one of my biggest problems with uh, the structure of this film and the way it's written, and it's not the <laughs> the the gay character who's a murderous sadist, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's that uh, 
Javier's only a, a, a withdrawal junkie it's, yes. when it's convenient. Yes, thank you for mentioning that. Now, I've not known, I've not witnessed firsthand a lot of withdrawals from drugs, uh, but so I don't claim to be an expert on it, but I... I wasn't under the impression that it comes and goes sort of like a fever does, you know, like, I mean, I, right. was, I thought once you start withdrawing, and it may be different for different drugs, but my general idea, my general picture of it is once you start withdrawing, it's just basically you you make it through or you don't, and it doesn't let you go, it doesn't let go of you, but it's he has these long periods of lucidity, you know, where he's yeah, able where to he's... figure out how to signal somebody for help and pull the wind off, and then suddenly then it a little while later, he's in bed shaking. So, yeah, I don't yeah. know if that's true to any real actual withdrawals. Well, that's just it. I don't know either, but yeah. at the same time, it does not ring. Yeah. It doesn't ring true. Same here. Same here. I, I, maybe somebody out there can tell us differently, but mine, I, that's not, doesn't, yeah, I hear that. I thought that was a, that that was one of the weaker parts of the script. Not like yeah. I said, not the fact that he's an addict and not the fact of what Alfonso does, but just the way it's shown is is uh it does like say convenience the right word it's like <laughs> yeah 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 i mean be bad enough to, to to deal with the whole you know heroin injection od mm-hmm. yeah. it's quite another thing to think the whole time wait a minute mm-hmm. i forgot that he was a withdrawing junkie yeah uh, i forgot that he was you know yeah. what the hell is going on here <laughs> anyway um the next morning we see julia leaving miguel's bed mm-hmm. um and uh, i love this line from her she says you won't have any more bad luck she's trying to convince him mm. that the two of them being together will end what he sees as his incredibly lifelong, mm-hmm. horrible, bad luck. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't think that's going to work out because that's immediately when he finds out that Javier's dead. Yeah, yeah. He gets it explained to him exactly what went down. He sees that mm-hmm. it's it's hard to miss the fact that the, that the kid was anally raped. <laughs> yeah, right. And Miguel goes up and finds Alfonso and beats the shit out of him. Actually, they have a pretty knockdown, drag-out fight in the mm-hmm. bedroom, in mm-hmm. uh, Alfonso's bedroom there. Then it, uh, then it all gets calmed down, and they re- and they realize the their, their first plan apparently is to bury the kid there somewhere on the grounds of the house, mm. and Oscar puts that idea yeah. straight in the toilet. He goes, no, 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 no one's bur- you're not burying him in the yard because after we're gone, other people are going to own this house, and if they start digging around, they're going to find the well, corpse. Well, not to mention that your nosy uh, old lady neighbor has two dogs that tend to get loose in the yard, and what do dogs like to do? <laughs> Dig <Exactly>. things up. <laughs> Well, this is when we get uh, Miguel giving, you know, going to the payphone again and giving phone calls out to uh, both sets of parents and setting up uh, the money drops for mm-hmm. both from both of them. Javier's parents at this point call the police. Yeah. So now we have the cops involved on that end of things, uh, and next we have the sequence where um, Miguel and Alfonso that night take. Javier's corpse out in the middle of quote unquote nowhere to bury it, uh, take a wrong turn and end up. <laughs> oh my God, man! They yeah. end up in a uh, in, in a military area where they're do, the the the, the yeah. military have have actually got the road yeah. set up for detour. They yeah. ignore this because they mm. they don't want to go that way and mm. end up in an area where they're going to try to bury this body and that's where the military are doing exercises. Yeah. <laughs> And it's all, it's, it's, if you want to point to a spot mm. in the movie that mm. illustrates maybe this Miguel guy has really, got really bad luck, yeah, yeah. this would be it. Yeah. And uh, I, I actually laughed out loud. I mean, I, and I don't know if it's intentionally comic, but it did strike me as comic. Just the great scene where, I mean, of all the worst possible place to be in, 
the because the the military somewhere you know when they get ready to start the maneuvers they set off a flare. Yeah, and here's you know Miguel and Alfonso with their digging tools suddenly just totally illuminated in this incredibly bright light. It is just a, it's really actually a funny funny moment there. You know, it's like it could not look worse. You know, for them. Uh, so yeah, and it's 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 yeah, but yeah. it is just kind of illustrates just how many uh, things are are just right at the on the outset. You know, from the outset on the edge of just what these people are trying to do and where they're trying to get to that just do they they just one wrong move after another or potentially wrong move um <laughs> and, I, and i love that the, the two the two soldiers who tell them you know listen this mm. you don't need to be here you need to get out of here they say okay sure we'll leave and then they still end up staying there and yeah. burying the body burying, there yeah yeah which i guess is okay something i would like to point out and mm. I, I like in the van ride out into the countryside alfonso starts fucking with miguel yeah, yeah. by pointing out he said hey you know using that mirror to signal the neighbor that must have been her idea she's the smart one right yeah uh, does that make you feel betrayed because i know you're fucking her by the way yeah oh yeah well that's it's that's especially effective coming on the heels of of where he's just miguel's just beating the shit out of alfonso yeah. and yet alfonso still seems to have the upper hand i think that's I really effective like no matter it doesn't matter that nashi's physically more superior to Alfonso. Alfonso still he like he he still can't beat him. Like Alfonso still somehow manages to 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 get under his skin. Well, uh, we should also m- mention the scene where the cops are talking to Javier's parents, and they they throw down all these photographs trying to illustrate. You know, listen, we, we, you you've mm. got you've got to work with us here, illustrating various very famous kidnapping problems mm-hmm. uh, various kidnapping cases mm-hmm. uh there's Paul Getty Patricia Hearst so they mention Patricia yeah. Hearst specifically which is right. a little odd when we get to the end of the movie right the Vienna 9 the Isra- the Israeli plane which I remember the Israeli plane but I don't remember the Vienna 9 uh Fuentes and du- uh, Duterte I don't know I don't remember that one I didn't either. recognize those maybe because we're not European I yeah. don't know yeah but <clears throat> so the cops are definitely involved on that end of things. Yeah. Did, and did you? I was just going to ask you. Did you find that at all? Just a little, a little clumsy. The throwing yes. down of the yes, that was to me. That to me, that was one of the clumsier scenes in the film. You know, it just wasn't necessary. You know, with these these kind of. I mean, why would you need to throw down these these photos the photo, of these no, famous? No. What is that going to help? I mean, if he if he mentioned them, you know, if he mentioned them, that's one yeah. thing. But I thought in that case, it's like okay, it's a little too on the nose for the audience. Which is the point you're trying to. Yeah, when, when the yeah, name of your film realistic. is it, yeah. yeah, when the name of your film is kidnapping, yeah, we you, we we're aware. I mean, it's mm. 1976. Mm. Everybody at the, alive at that time and going to a film with that title is going to be well aware of mm. several of those. Yeah. So, yeah. well, um, I also love that Alfonso in this conversation in the van when they're driving mm. back compares uh, Miguel's relationship with Marissa to crossbreeding dogs. <laughs> Yeah. She's a pedigree. Yeah. yeah, right. And you're a homeless mutt. Yeah. And anything that came from such a relationship uh, would be horrible. And it's and and, and, and of course and of course we know also that he's only shoring up what Miguel actually thinks, thinks of, himself of himself already. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a point here in a little while where he he refers to himself literally as dirt, which goes back to where we first saw yeah. him racing the dirt bikes. You know that he feels yeah. like. That he—that's truly what he thinks of himself. So Miguel knows it's. I mean, Alfonso knows exactly which buttons to push. Insane. Well, now we get to uh, Miguel promising Marissa that uh, everything will be fine. Uh, gives her the key to the cell and tells her, "Look, once we go at, once we go to meet these people to get the money, mm-hmm. you use this key, get out of here, and run away, mm-hmm. so that Alfonso can't kill you too." Essentially, yeah. And this is when she explains that she she won't leave without him. Mm-hmm. She 
she explains that the reason she lied to the cop who was in the house is that she is bored with her life and she's in love with Miguel mm-hmm. and she I love the phrase she she says she I need uh, she she's looking for someone to protect mm-hmm. and it it's th- at this point you realize just how messed up this girl is yeah is that she's you know call it Stockholm syndrome call it whatever mm-hmm. you wish but she's in love with her kidnapper mm-hmm. um and will not even take the opportunity to exit herself from this horrible situation <clears throat> yeah. when given the opportunity because she wants to be with him. He, you know, <laughs> talks to her about his incredibly bad luck, and she is the second woman in the film to explain to him that I will change that luck. Yeah, yeah. And then this is the part that he doesn't listen to closely enough, yeah. where she talks about how she she wants an exciting life that yeah, she's yeah she. She is bored by her life, and this mm. this excitement in her life is is yeah. is one of the first things that's really kind of made her feel alive. Yeah. That's, that's the part he should have listened yeah, to. Yeah, because that's not what he's really looking for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the next scene we see Julia packing, and uh, she has a confrontation with her husband Oscar because she's packing, but uh, she's not, not his packing stuff. his stuff. Right. This is a pretty rough scene, and it's it well is. acted it because is. this yeah. is when Julia tells him that she's going to be leaving without him, and that she's leaving with Miguel. And Oscar breaks down, mm-hmm. and she, she, like I say, tells him the truth. And yeah. Oscar kind of throws himself at her mercy and says, "Look, right. please don't, mm-hmm. you know, please don't leave me. Don't, don't do this to me." And she unloads on him in a, in a kind of semi-vicious yeah. way, saying, "Saying, did you think that I wanted to, mm. you know, essentially be your guide dog? Is that really yeah. that's really her feelings on the subject? Is she? Did you really think that that's what I wanted to do with my life?" Mm-hmm. And he is so distraught, and I don't think she realized just how hard this was going to hit him. Yeah. But he walks out of the room and goes to the top of the stairs and uh, tosses his cane down and then throws himself down the stairs and breaks his neck. Yeah. Um, commits suicide in yeah. a pretty horrible way, honestly. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that's how I would want to take <laughs> no. myself out. I know. It's, 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 it's kind of in, in, uh, it's efficiently, uh, Guaranteed to do the trick, you know, you might just end up paralyzed from the neck, from the waist down or neck down <sighs> yeah, or something. Then or you're worse, blind and worse shape from than you were before. But in general, that you definitely, and this is a scene where I think Oscar's character definitely warrants our sympathy to oh, an extent. Much you know, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of painful what uh, what he has to go through there and 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 what he has to hear from Julia. Well, it's interesting. His arc in this film, as we see him introduced, is a is a fairly arrogant. Mm-hmm. And a confident man, and and then he kills himself. All Mm. it takes is the realization that Mm. his wife doesn't love him, and that that, you know that he's that that part of his life is over, and he he offs himself. Mm. Well, Miguel uh, goes to make the money grab from one set of the parents. Mm. Um, This is the the sky car sequence. Yeah, Uh, this this uh, tourist uh, attraction, which is uh, Mm. uh, you know uh, cable cable cabled. Sky cars that go over apparently a portion of Madrid. Yeah. There, it's called the Madrid Teleferico. Uh, yeah, this I, I asked our friend Elena, yeah. uh, who who does the Spanish fear, and uh, she she because when I had to ask her, I knew this was filmed in Madrid, and in watching it in the movie, uh, my questions about it were. Was it still you know is it still in operation? And also because of it looked like it went across the city, I was wondering is. Because in our country here and here and you know most, those kind of things are pretty much used as tourist attractions or to take people to, to to ski resorts and that sort of thing. But 
it almost looked to me like something that people might use almost as someone might use a subway or a commuter train you know, or something to go right. back and forth from work. Uh, and Elena's response was that it is still in operation, but that it's, it is pretty much considered a tourist attraction, but it, look, it looks like it would be a, a, but, but I would think that if you, I mean, I don't know how much it would cost to ride it or if it's just a free transport sort of thing, but I would think that if you did, it, it, certainly if you're looking to get to the other side of the city, it looks like it would be a really convenient way to do it. But well, that's uh, just it. I wonder which portion of the city it, it goes over. Yes, yeah. I mean it is pretty long. Yeah. But I mean it. it, it yeah. You get you get good shots of it. Uh, there's some really good mm-hmm. camera shots from inside the cars, mm-hmm. and I just wonder, you know, what area of the city it's in, or if there are different mm-hmm. ones. If there's more than one somewhere in Madrid, that's mm-hmm. just kind. Of, it yeah. is kind of interesting. It's not like. I mean, it's not like Nashville's got one of these things no. strung across one section I, of the city. I know. I was sitting there thinking, like, man, I want one of those from where I live to where I work. <laughs> I would be, I'd rather, <laughs> but uh, I did have to. I, I did say that I, I did have to look at the number on the car that Nashie gets in is, is number seventy eight, and uh, was it seventy? Yes, it's, 70, it's 78. seventy eight. And the money's dropped in seventy four. You're right, and I, I know that they're red in the film. When I went to the website for the or the notice on the on the Spanish tourism website, I went to that showed it. They're now blue, but if they've kept the same, but the cars still have numbers on them. So if they if they didn't change the numbers, <laughs> if I ever go to I told, told Elena, if I ever go to Spain, I'm gonna I want to ride numbers. I want to ride in car seventy eight there. So I want that. <laughs> well, Nashi's able to uh, make uh, able to pick up the money from the person who's who drops the mm-hmm. uh, the briefcase full of money in one of the cars. His everything seems to go pretty smoothly for him. Alfonso is the one making the uh, the grab for money at uh, a car racetrack. Uh, and his situation does not go all that well. As a matter of fact, uh, because the, he is obviously picking up the money from Javier's parents. Who have called in the, the police. And uh, there is a quick uh, on, on-foot chase. Alfonso makes the grand mistake of attempting to run across the racetrack and is hit by one of the cars. And uh, laying there bleeding on the uh, asphalt... Uh, Alfonso uh, shows uh, that he is a consistent character by even <laughs> lying end. by <laughs> lying about his participation in this entire event yeah. all the way up to his own death. Right. <laughs> uh, but he does tell them. Yeah, he rats him out. He rats him out. So he rats him out as he dies, and he lies about how complicit he was in the entire situation mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Back at the house, Julia finds Marissa loose in the house because she's used the key and is, and is, is roaming around the house. Um, of course, Julia has a gun, a handgun. They argue, have this lengthy conversation where Julia is now informed by Marissa that uh, Miguel is planning to go off to that place where you're planning to meet him and he's going to meet me there and then we're going off together. Yeah. This disheartens Julia in much the same way that Oscar sure, was just exactly, yeah. disheartened rather effectively. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Julia does not have the reaction that I would have expected. I, I, I would say the, yeah. not what we thought was going to happen. Yeah, the claws do not come out. No. The the anger does not blossom. Yeah. It's almost as if she expected that the the, the relationship with Miguel was just something too yeah. good too good to be yeah. true yeah. to a degree. Yeah. Because both of these women, and let's let's stress this because this is a typical Nashy script mm-hmm. in the in the the fact not just because he sleeps with both these women, yeah. but. Because both of these women consider him to be a massive prize. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Both of these women, for some reason, see Paul Nashie and see, like, just the most amazing, handsome, desirable mm-hmm. <laughs> human being on the planet Earth. And it really is almost as if Julia 
never really believed that he cared about her anyway, and this just kind of confirms it for yeah. her. It, yeah. it, she doesn't blossom into anger. She just yeah. it's she kind of collapses in on herself. Yeah, uh, she's within just a just a few minutes. She's fully fully aware that you know yeah. this beautiful young woman is is one that he would end up with one way or the other and is actually telling her to just go ahead and go. Yeah. Yeah. She actually kind of sacrifices herself for them, you know, so yeah, because then because the she, cops for, for Miguel, yeah. she's like, you know, yeah. She, so she wants him to them to get away. And so, yeah, she kind of holds off the cops in a gunfight while Miguel and Marissa, uh, well, get as away. I, well, Miguel's not there. No, that's true. As Marissa gets away. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, yeah but once again, not where we really thought that was, that scene was going and no, we, not at all. Yeah. But it, but it, once again, it's very well played it by is, the two it really actresses. Is. Yeah. And like I say, this is a this is a big plus for this script in my opinion because mm. it's definitely not the direction I expected no. this to go. No. This is this is definitely an interesting play, and a, it, this is a turn of events that's just unpredictable. And yeah. I was really impressed by it. Um, well, so Marissa leaves and meets Miguel. Oh, but the the gunfight the, the gunfight at the house goes down. Yeah, uh, we never cop, really the see the, we never see, we the, never end see the end of that. We just know that that uh, Julia's firing at the cops as they're approach, yeah. as they're closing in on the house. Uh, Marissa uh, sneaks out. She goes and meets Miguel where they're supposed to to meet, and Miguel is thrilled because they have they have this briefcase full of money. Yeah, and uh, it's just the two of them. It would appear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he he refers to refers to her as his lucky charm. Uh, now we just need to to locate a place to to, to essentially kind of retire. You know where mm. we you know where are we yeah. going to go so we yeah. don't have to worry about getting yeah. called by the cops. And this is when he yeah. realizes, okay, this may not have gone as well as I thought. <laughs> yeah, because um, she wants to continue a life of excitement. Yeah. She says we need to to get lots more money. We need to we need to do more. <laughs> She's clearly looking for thrills. Yeah. And he hugs her and he says, you know, this this could all go very wrong one day. Yeah. We could this could end very badly. Yeah. And her her idea is I don't, you know, I I don't care. And he goes along with her. Once again, Miguel can't control the forces around him, you know. He no. just he just he he can't do it. <laughs> Cut to the very next scene and our dear little Marissa Looks just like Patty. I was going to say, here comes the yeah, here comes the beret, and there's no if there were any doubt in your mind, no, what the yeah. what the she's standing she's standing in in a jewelry store holding a submachine gun uh, that looks a whole lot like the gun that oh, Patricia the, Hurst the famous picture uh, we always uh, seen, the yeah. famous picture, and um, they they rob a jewelry store, and then the next next scene, it looks like we're about to get like. Sever, we're, we're about to get a montage of various robberies, mm. but we only get the jewelry store, and then this next one we're in a bank, bank and it's like, yeah. oh, this next one's going to be like the, another one, then there's going to be another one. Another. Yeah. No, this is the last one. Yeah, this turns out to be her father's bank. Yeah, and as they're about to leave, as they've gotten the money and are about to leave, her father, who per- appears to not at first recognize her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, her father and her father's right hand man, the guy sleeping with her mother, mm-hmm. come out of the come out of one of the interior offices. She sees them, takes off her sunglasses, and her father looks at her, yeah. and either recognizes her and doesn't care. But it's kind of, yeah, it's it's it's, it's ambiguous. Kind of ambiguous. It really is. This whole yeah, there's a lot of that in this this whole yeah. Here. And then she guns down the right-hand man, yeah, just shoots yeah, him dead, yeah. while, yeah. <laughs> while Miguel is going, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, once again, Miguel, no, no, don't kill, don't kill. It's like, yeah. 
Yep, yep, yep. And that is when the credits roll. The credits roll over her, the still frame of her smart, face. Her, her grin. Yeah. That she's, and yeah, and, and, and at first to my son, I was like, oh my God, that's how it ends. You know, that's yeah. what. And, and yeah, that whole closing sequence there is just, is I think, really powerful. And, and also where it ends, like, you, you know, you know that things can't turn out eventually good for either of them, no matter yeah. how much they're able to continue their spree um and you know so your overriding thought is realizing that miguel really just wanted to go somewhere and kick back on a beach somewhere with his with his spoils but but she you know she wasn't gonna have it you know she was she was wanting the, the she was just getting started in this yeah, you know he he, he he left uh-huh. he left this this entire affair with the wrong woman for yeah for, yeah, for safety exactly sake. right yeah so yes so this is um this is interesting. I, yeah, I, yeah. I I have some problems as we've discussed along yeah. the way. The inter, intermittent intermittent junkie problem. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's not a good thing. Right. The um the the the, the rather odd emphasis on the bad luck that they have at certain points, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. I that that's I mean the, the, it's almost as if the. I wonder if in Nashi's mind there is such a thing as bad luck, and he was illustrating it in this story by going, "Yeah, yeah, this guy's really got shitty luck." Yeah, yeah. Or if it's just the the, the thing that a lot of people notice when you start talking about really complicated schemes, which is only these things only work properly if everything goes oh perfectly. There's so many ways they can go. Yeah, there's wrong. so many so ways that they can that fly out of control. Yeah. Uh, it is kind of interesting looking at how Nashi's career subsequently developed because at the time this film was made, I think was still, still very much when his name was probably at its biggest box office pull. Right. In his own book, if you read his own autobiography, you begin to know that as the years went by, there was many, many personal chance, bad luck things and and meetings or things that were going to happen with certain people that wouldn't happen because of a of a random death or a random bit of bad luck and so it's almost like in some ways now she saw his own <laughs> was that kind of anticipating uh his his own uh kind of a tendency to to have things go badly in his own career it's possible and i do think that it's 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 a good point to make that there you know if he di- if he did believe in bad luck there certainly were enough instances in his own career and life yeah. where you know Kind of like a Charles Dickens character, just yeah, things, yeah, right. things, these, these ridiculous reversals mm. of fortune happen mm. at different times, and you have to like crawl yourself up out of a yeah. pit. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's intriguing. I mean, mm. I ended up, I, I I like the film. I do too. Uh, I don't think it's a great film, but it is one that does fit very effectively into this period of time, this this mid seventies yeah. period of time for him, mm. and it's 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 um, very much in line with the crime movies that he made in the seventies. I think. Yeah. yeah. And I think that you can kind of see some of the uh, some of the ideas and some of the things that he would touch on again in the future with something like Human Beasts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where I would argue that the character he plays in Human Beasts is almost a combination of Miguel and Alphonse. That's a good point. I, um, of, I can see that. That, yeah. That, yeah. that seems to be mm-hmm. yeah. him kind of taking those two characters and mashing them together mm-hmm. and taking some, you know, taking you know, nasty characteristics from both and combining them into a single character. But... Um, this is uh, this is a very in, this is an interesting film and one I'm glad, like I say, someone subtitled it so we can finally oh, yeah. see, very see it. Very grateful that yeah. This is uh, 
it's it's well scripted. It's well directed. Once again, I'm I'm impressed by the score. I'm impressed by the mm-hmm. acting talent on yeah. screen. Uh, I uh, I would love to know how well it did in Spain uh, because this yeah. would this would be a film that. Um, Certainly has the exploitable elements by 76. I'm assuming that they would be able to get away with the nudity in the film uh, in Spain. I'm also wondering, uh, one thing that surprised me about the film, because I was expecting a little more similarities but to the Patty Hearst story in the sense that there's no politics behind the kidnapper's motives. Yeah, you know, and they like, keep stressing that question. When the cops get involved, they're yeah. asking it again. It's like, what, yeah. what are your politics? And it's yeah. like, this has nothing to do yeah. with politics. They're just looking for money. Exactly. And also, there's no torture or mental berate, berating of Marissa. Now, there's certainly like abuse of Javier, but the stories you heard, their stories, Patty tell whatever's true, who knows, but the, the, the idea that her kidnappers continually worked on her and, 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 yeah. and, and mentally and, and physically tortured her until she till they did affect a type of brainwashing there's really not any you know this is certainly not a brainwashed character you know Maris no. is not so so there's not as many similarities which made me wonder if they were thought that they would have a better idea of commercial success and also even getting the film out there if they avoided political overtones it's to, possible you know who knows but that and, was it, the, and, it, and it, at this point in time in Spain I mean we're talking right mm-hmm. around the time when um Generalissimo yeah. Franco passed away, right. and we're talking about a whole lot of uh, the governmental, you know, the, things that have been in place for decades at that point, kind of being in all, mm. in flux, yeah. and therefore yeah. there being a little bit of, I'm sure, anxiety mm-hmm. around yeah. uh, how things were going to go. And the story takes yeah. place mm-hmm. in Spain, in Madrid. So, mm-hmm. and we saw, because as we know, it wouldn't be much longer before. I mean, Nashi would definitely be be treading on some some toes with with actually directly addressing like those issues yeah. in some of his other films, but this one might have tried to play it a little safer in that respect, possibly. It does, does look that way. I mean, um, the, it becomes a question at times for uh, filmmakers as to whether or not being um, being a little more controversial is going to be box office gold or if it's mm. going to just stomp on the film's possibilities for success. So yeah. who knows? Uh, I will say uh, we got another little quote here from uh, from Paul Nashi about this film. Uh, in in the kind of career overview that was in uh, videos uh, back in the early 90s. Um, What he has to say about this film is, uh, this is a totally made-up film, which I wrote after reading about the Patricia Hearst case and what today is called the Stockholm Syndrome, which interested me a lot. What I did was to translate this to the screen where the kidnapper and the victim become lovers after she loses all fear of him. A film of action and adventure, which wasn't bad. And that's all he has to say about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I I, uh, I wouldn't call it an adventure, uh, action maybe, yeah, yeah. but it, de- it definitely is a, a crime film, and it's mm-hmm. it's an effective one. And yeah, um, yeah. certainly, uh, honestly, I like it a little bit better than uh, Death of a President. To be honest, if mm-hmm. memory serves, mm-hmm. it's been a while since I've watched. That's, that oh, one. I, I believe yeah. I did. Yeah, I agree with you then. There, I think I liked it. Is I don't think I. I didn't like it as as much as I think the sniper, uh, but Maybe. I did think. But it's very Maybe. close. I mean, I think that I, I think I like the sniper a little bit more, uh, but I definitely agree that I liked it more than Death of a President. Um, yeah, I, I think I ended up giving it a seven. Yeah, and uh, I think the acting I really really liked uh, the the layers to a lot of the characters. Um, I really liked uh, the the kind of unexpected turns that it takes. I liked and uh, 
there's certainly times when, yeah, there, there's certainly some weaknesses in the story. And, and but uh, yeah, yeah, it was one that I, I really, really came away enjoying quite a bit. Well, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the same ballpark with you. I will just point out again that, you know, looking from a 21st century perspective back, there is that one element of the of the film that that makes me a little uh, uncomfortable, which is the ease with which the ease with which a homosexual character was yeah. painted as the most vile and mm-hmm. repulsive character in the film. Yeah. Uh, he's very well played yeah. and the actor playing him does an excellent job, yeah. but it's just that creating that character um, seems, seems looking back, you know, mm-hmm. decades and decades, mm-hmm. you know, after the fact, mm-hmm. seems incredibly retrograde yeah. and a little over obvious, a choice. Yeah. But, once again, no, I totally get to it. It's another one of those, uh, another one of those, you know, of its time situations, mm-hmm. and so I'm, sure. I'm far from offended, but it does, yeah. it does make me kind of nod my head and go, yeah, somebody would have found a better way to write that, you know, even twenty years later. They oh would yeah, have, they would have decided, you know, there's no point, you know, it, mm-hmm. we have to be a bit more creative about this and not kind of rely on something that's a little at that point even, mm-hmm. even just by the mid seventies, a little stock and over obvious. Yeah. But yeah. anyway. That's Sequestro, or yeah. Kidnapping, from 1976. Um, nice to be able to sit down and watch an entire Paul Nashie film again. It is. There are there are a few that we still have on our, 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 our wish list, you know, that we know Nashie at least, you know, we may not know how much he's in the film, but we know at least that he uh, had a hand in the story, and that's enough to... To uh, make us want to hope that they, you know, hope that they will turn up like Sequestro did here, or or even better shape some someday. We can hold out hope. Uh, Fingers so, crossed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, people, hold on one second. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we've got a uh, we got a few mail pieces to read out. Some what do they call those things? Letters. That's letters, what it is. Letters. letters. <laughs> uh, email massages, messages, <laughs> things of that nature. Sorry. Hang on. The following is a message from the American Podcast Council. We need your help. Podcastophobia strikes four out of five Americans every day, and chances are that someone you love or could love given time is currently suffering from this devastating affliction. But it doesn't have to be that way. For zero dollars a day, you can help. Please, make some time today to let just one person know about a favorite podcast of yours. It can be this one, but it doesn't have to be. But it probably should be, but seriously, no pressure. And show them where to find it and how to download, play, and subscribe to it. And tell us what you recommended. Use the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y pod. Thank you for speaking out. And thank you for listening. Bucket going here. I'm gonna reach in and bucket, uh, mail bucket, ba- mail bucket. <laughs> why did we? Why it's, did we? Why, why yeah. we never called it that before? That's well, awesome. I don't know, mail but I, unfortunately, I, I, I occasionally confuse it with the slop bucket, and uh, that's a you know that's not a good thing. <laughs> reach, so to, reach yeah. down into the bucket of mail <laughs> and right. yank this out. Cool. This is from Daniel. Uh, Daniel is actually uh, in Germany, and uh, he says, uh, "Hello, Troy and Rod. I've only found out about your podcast about two months ago, and they instantly became favorites of mine." 
I don't usually write fan mail, but I wanted to let you know how much I appreciate your podcast. You're doing a great job coming up with interesting facts and enjoyable topics. It says, I've now listened to 20 plus episodes and I'm already forgetting half the things I wanted to write to you about, so I can't put, put it off any longer. Things might get random. I apologize in advance. Yeah, well, sorry, That's but right. one thing we do not tolerate here are digressions or, or <laughs> randomness. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, the, ignore, the, ignore the past hour and a half of digressions and, <laughs> exactly. and subtopics leading off into the woods. Yes. <laughs> he says, uh, I'm very interested in the way you guys first came across these films because it seems to me often very different from my own experiences since I'm from Germany. And thankfully, you're talking about that quite a bit. Sadly, I've never had the chance to see a Japanese Godzilla movie in a, in a cinema. I might have watched bits and pieces of some of the 60s, 70s films as a kid on TV in the uh, as a kid on TV in the 80s, but I really only ever properly saw these films on VHS as a teenager. I fell in love with Kaiju's nevertheless though. Also, thank you so much for the Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah 1991 episode. I was blown away by the timeline description. Haha, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was ah, uh, thank you. Yes. I did not know whether to laugh or cry when I heard your guest Jason's experiences of seeing Shin Godzilla in a theater with an American audience. He says, I can only say Germans are as bad, or just as bad, but luckily for me, I only go to original audio special screenings since everything gets horribly dubbed here, which means the theater is usually not that crowded and people are okay. Uh, yeah, I'll say it again. I apparently was, we apparently were incredibly yeah. lucky with our experiences here. Packed house and a very Packed house, reverent, very receptive crowd. Yeah, very reverent good. crowd. I, I know, I felt really bad for Jason. Believe me, I've, I've had plenty of bad experiences in theater before, don't get me wrong, but when it came to the Godzilla films, I would consider myself very lucky because that would crush me to be... You know, to be in a, yeah. a theater, or, you know, some people might get hurt, let's just put it that way. <laughs> he says, uh, Daniel says, you've mentioned bootlegs a few times. I'm guessing these had to be ordered through mail order or conventions back then. Bootlegs or imported VHS tapes were often the only way to get uncut films over here. You're probably aware of the video nasty scare that the UK went through. Well, it was, and partially still is a whole lot worse here. While wow. Yeah, I know, and I would not have thought I would not that. have expected that. Yeah, no. he says, while censorship isn't as strict as it used to be, and many films have been deleted from the banned film list in recent years, many classics like Maniac or Dawn of the Dead are still banned and still can't be sold in stores. Now, that, that really blows me away, that to this that, that even now... That's insane. That yeah. is insane. That's, that, that's, 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 I had no idea that it was still that bad in, in Germany. Talking about 40-year-old movies. I know, I know. He says, uh, uh, he says, this led to some strange releases like the Dawn of the Dead quote-unquote final cut, which is basically every bit of film from all versions cut together. goes without saying that the pacing is horrible and the music jumps back and forth between Goblin and the library tracks, often every other second. <laughs> uh, he says, uh, another example is Eroticill, which I think was my third Jess Franco film after Vampiros Lesbos and She Killed in Ecstasy, both of which I liked instantly. He says, the, film, the same can't be said about Eroticill. The DVD was apparently released in 2001 and it featured the longer version with a few more minutes of terrible hardcore inserts Added into added to it to push the runtime to about 110 minutes of boredom. It's awful. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Uh. yeah. He says um, to make things even worse, the title was changed to Lusterna Vampira im Sperma Sperm He said, which not only contains a spelling error but translates to lascivious vampires intoxicated on sperm. <laughs> 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 and the cover fits the bill. He says, I'll send it along separately for your enjoyment. Yeah, in a, in a separate email, he did send the cover of that particular by, by, release. By the, by the way, I yes. think I've seen that 110-minute long oh cut of that gosh. film, wow. and it's uh, <laughs> it's insufferable. 
without the fast forward button, I I would not have made it through that. And and I I like I, I have no problem with pornography. Yeah, no. I have problem with boredom. Yes, anything can. It's proof that anything can be made very bored, 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 boring, and <clears throat> can be made very tedious. <laughs> There's that. Yes, he says. Uh, he says I came to love many of Uncle Franco's films either way. He says now on Paul Nashie, quite a lot of stuff I stumbled across him. Yes, quite like quite a lot of stuff I stumbled across him in the late '90s on VHS, thanks to releases of Horror Rises from the Tomb and Vengeance of the Zombies. Loved both of them right away. Are you aware that German label Subculture has been putting out several Paul Nashie films? Yes. Yeah, they put out. Yeah, that's a good label. I don't have any of their releases my, myself. I mean, even though I, I don't I, think they're, yeah. I don't think they're English for well, and, and I and think actually, pricey, that's, yeah. and I think it's what he says. He says some of them have not been uh, available in HD anywhere else yet, but sadly, none of them are English friendly. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. He says also, Rod Mondo Macabro's Bollywood horror collection is three volumes in total, and I'd highly recommend all of them. Especially yeah, I've the, only got one of them. Yeah, he says, especially the Nightmare on Elm Street ripoff, Mahakal, I guess it's pronounced there. He said, it has to be seen to be believed, but of course these films are an acquired taste. Yeah, Bollywood stuff is 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 pretty pretty mind blowing. I've I've seen a little bit of it, <laughs> yeah. but I've not. Yeah, I've not. I've still not watched even the one volume of the Bollywood stuff mm. from Mondo Macabro. I've I've got so yeah. He says, thanks for pointing out the Lovecraft connection on the Beyond. I've seen that film so many times, but never thought about that, even though it fits so well. This has gotten quite long, so I'll save the rest for next time. All the best, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. We appreciate that very much. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for yeah, listening you, and all the you, good comments. Yeah. You covered a lot of ground there on both uh, the Nashi yeah. cast and the Bloody Pit. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Fantastic. We um, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, but uh, I had no idea that uh, that the case in Germany, that it was still that, that much censorship as far as uh, films like this, you know, being yeah. being seen. I just assumed that the land that mm. created Necromantic would uh, we'd be uh, mm. perfectly free and open with yeah. whatever we could be p- placed onto a videotape or a DVD. You know? <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, with bootlegs, yeah, we we you know a lot of bootlegs we found at conventions, uh, and then uh, we did got a lot of mail order. There were fanzines here, such as Psychotronic Film, Film Threat, things like that. Yeah, that people would would advertise these, and you'd always be scouring and see some title there. You know that that uh, you know, and and there was always the danger of sometimes ordering a film you'd already gotten under a different title because we. Didn't have quite as much many uh, reference sources there where we could compare, you know, yeah. which how you know which film was titled as what, especially when it came to Franco films or, or Nashi's werewolf films. Um, yeah, luckily yeah. that's that's one of the the yeah. the many the many um, reasons Video Watchdog was always such a great resource is because mm-hmm. they usually would almost always have a subset, a couple of, a page or half a page in each issue that mm-hmm. gave you a list of retitlings. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a great tool for trying to keep abreast of mm-hmm. odd video retitlings of films so that at least you had a handle on what you may have already seen and maybe wouldn't get fooled by those bootleggers. Yeah. <laughs> but at any rate, now we've got another letter here. We've got, uh, this one's from Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. He says, uh, we've heard from Thomas before, I do believe. I do believe we have. I love the Thanks title of this particular read that. The, the title is Pentagrams, Commentary Tracks, and Nashy Musk. Yeah. <laughs> That uh, yeah. that's the title of a documentary. I think yeah. <laughs> that's what that is. It should be. It should be. <laughs> it says, gentlemen, I have been meaning to write to you guys for some time now, and never had any real free time to do so. That being said, you guys keep getting better and better. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Congrats on the commentary tracks for the Nashi sets and Inquisition. Very informative and fun to listen to. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate it, Tom. It seems like a natural transition for you guys from doing the podcasts to move over into commentaries. Now that you have had a chance to do a few, 
Are there any Nashi slash Franco slash Eurohara films that you would love to do another commentary for? Yes, I've Ooh, come come with a list of seventy. So. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. It's like which ones wouldn't we? <laughs> well, I think I think you know uh, clearly we would love to get the chance to do another few uh, Nashi films. I think that that would be wonderful. But um, uh, there is also a part of me that feels that we've done mm-hmm. we've done five Nashi films now, and there's another part of me that kind of feels like maybe it would be a good idea. Maybe it is a good idea for someone else to take the reins on a few Nashi films because. Um, we bring a certain perspective and a mm-hmm. certain way of approaching these films mm-hmm. that um, is, you know, I'm, I'm assuming it's unique. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, I would love to have the chance to hear other people talk oh, about sure, some yeah. of these films mm-hmm. as well. It'd be mm-hmm. great to have the perspectives of, of people who had a very different introduction mm-hmm. or a very different yeah. viewpoint on these movies. So as much as I'd like to do some more Nashy films, mm-hmm. and also there's a part of me that just can't wait to hear what other people have mm-hmm. to say about some of these films as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as for other other films I'll, I'll admit to you that there is a certain appeal to do a Jess Franco film at some point but at the same time I I read and listen to Stephen Thrower mm-hmm. or yeah. Tim Lucas yeah. or other people who are really informed mm-hmm. on Jess Franco's entire career and I realized that what I could bring to the table for a commentary track about Jess Franco would be it, it would almost have to be a completely personal and idiosyncratic yeah, track to make sure. it worth listening to mm-hmm. because there's nobody that's going to beat Stephen Thrower for mm-hmm. information about Jess Franco. The man just completed his second giant volume on mm-hmm. the man's career, and it's just I just think to myself, I'd love to do a Franco film, mm-hmm. but only if also Stephen Thrower had a track on the same disc so that you actually got some you actually got somebody yeah. who really knows their yeah. shit yeah. To, to talk about the movie because mm-hmm. I'd hate to take up I'd hate to take up space for for something mm-hmm. that Stephen Thrower could have been doing that would that would that would depress the shit out of me yeah. It's the same thing with like Mario Bava. Do I really want to get in the way? Mm-hmm. I'd love to talk about a Mario Bava sure. film, but do I yeah. want to get in the way of, of of Tim Lucas for fuck's sake? Yeah, I, I mean, think. Yeah. The man wrote the book, literally. Yeah. You know? And so it's, no, it's things I, like I that. I totally get where you're coming from. You know, but yeah, there. I mean, there are dozens of films I'd love to add oh, my voice to. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. So I, I threw out just just some like talking about Nashi films, and I, I know what you're saying. We've 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 done several now so far. But I, I mean, obviously, we would never refuse any that are offered to us. You know, but uh, you know, no. but but um. Uh, for me, you know, I would love to do Werewolf Shadow. Um, oh yeah, I, I'd love to. I think we'd both love to do Howl, Howl of the Devil. I think we would love to do that one. Yes. Um, Doctor Jekyll and the Werewolf would be a great one to do. Frenchman's Pan- Garden for sure. Panic Beats. Yeah, Panic Beats. Panic Beats is one I had. A, that would be great. Um, actually, it's more modern. I'd do a Rojo Sangre. I'd love to do Ro- Rojo. Oh Sangre. my God! Yes, um, such a great film. Yeah. You know? But I was thinking of as far as outside the Nashiverse, there just some just a few quick ones that came to mind. Uh, was I'd love to do Horror Express just because I love that that film so much. That would be fun. And uh, of course, a film that I'm always champion that's kind of moved to the top of my list for uh, top of my wish list for getting a nice Blu-ray release would be The Devil's Nightmare. I just love uh, that. That's a film that yeah. And uh, one more I put here that we covered before on the show that that uh, was Murder Mansion. I enjoyed that so much that I would I would I would love to do do one on that. So I really would as well because that's mm-hmm. a movie that I think is is fairly well known because mm-hmm. it, it it was it, it was such a, a standard on a lot of those mm-hmm. 
public domain mm-hmm. sets for so long, mm-hmm. and I think probably still is. Yeah. But there's a lot, man. When you when we dug into that film, man, there's a there's a lot there. It's not just that it's a good movie, mm-hmm. yeah. But that there's just a lot of very interesting things about the movie. The, the more you look into it in the production and the cast and crew, there's a lot to talk about with that movie. And yeah. I think it would be it'd be great if somebody wanted to to do a really good release of that movie. Mm-hmm. But once again, its public domain status sure. kind of works against it to a degree. Yeah. yeah. As for uh, other Euro horror stuff. Um, some of the quirkier out of out, you know kind of outside the box stuff that I'd like to do is stuff that we a couple of things that we've covered here on the show uh, things like I hate my body yeah maybe eyeball maybe again. eyeball oh, man eyeball would be great yeah. but uh, once again that's a that's a giallo and, and yeah. there are other people who I feel sure. would probably yeah. bring a more informed eye mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> a more informed I, I, eye to like that film than, than yeah. we would yeah but yeah the the you know the, the aforementioned strange loves of the vampire would be fun mm-hmm. um a nashy film that i would love to do a, a commentary track for that you didn't mention uh is the hanging woman oh yeah which, uh, that was his, really he's entertaining not, yeah. yeah he's not the main character but his 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 uh his character has a, a good amount of screen time plus it's just a good film it's it a is. really interesting movie oh yeah i did enjoy that one a lot um but yeah there there are dozens of Euro horror films that I mean I would love to get the chance to sit down and opine about, but I'll be honest. Uh, one of the one of the stranger things that has occurred to me here in the past few months, and I I don't know why I never thought of it before. One of the things that I wouldn't mind getting the chance to do a commentary track on is some of the some of the nineteen fifties giant bug movies. Oh yeah, 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 right. I mean, the, I would love yeah. to really dig in and do a lot of research and sit down and do a track for even something not not a giant bug movie something like monolith monsters yeah, yeah. Uh, just some of those um, those really effective mm-hmm. but some of the lesser known films mm-hmm. from that period of time I'd love to get a chance to do something like that but I'm you know we don't really have there's there's nothing there's nothing in our public persona that really kind of presents us as someone who would actually have some success with those kind of films but boy I'd still still yeah. love to do it so yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, there's lot, there's lots of things. There's plenty of things. Trust yeah. me. People probably would think that I would leap at the chance to do uh, audio commentary on a Godzilla movie, but I think I would have the same problem with that that you talked yeah. about. With there are so many Godzilla experts, which for all my love of Godzilla, I don't consider myself a Godzilla expert, but there's so many very qualified people out there that have been have done some great audio commentaries that I can't imagine other than just as you said, a totally personal perspective on how yeah. a movie might affect me in terms of any actual information uh, you know I don't really see that I could provide anything close to what many of these other guys are doing out there so well returning to Thomas's email he says uh, I'd love to see you guys and Tim Lucas tr- uh, team up for a commentary uh, yeah that's, that's that would be great my only fear about that is Tim Lucas has such a sexy voice you know is that I'm about, <laughs> he might the rest of us might we might sound like you know, two versions of Jerry Lewis next to his Dean Martin, possibly if we, you know, if, if we tried to do a commentary with Tim, but that would be fun. Well, I did, I did think that it was funny that on uh, that on Tim's blog when he uh, he wrote about uh, our Blue Eyes the Broken Doll podcast. I mean, not not po- our Blue Eyes the Broken Doll commentary track. Mm-hmm. He made mention of the fact that while listening to it, that uh, he wished he had been the third voice in the room because he wanted to he wanted yeah. to oh, delay. oh that because be, yeah. he's That's he's awesome. so he's so used to hearing mm-hmm. us and talking with us mm-hmm. and being in the same room with us and, and it being a conversation yeah. it's like and that's what he really wished yeah. it was I, and it's like that would be great i'd love to love do that. it that'd be awesome it would be fun mm-hmm. 
Well, at any rate, uh, he, uh, Thomas continues. He says, are there any commentary tracks in particular that you guys have really enjoyed and influenced how you make your own? Um, yes, yes, there are. I will, uh, uh, not to not to toot his horn even harder, but yeah, I'm a big fan of the uh, commentary tracks that Tim Lucas has done for various uh, Mario Bava films. Some of them I've listened to you know, more mm-hmm. than once. Mm-hmm. Um, also a big fan of... Uh, David Collette's uh, Godzilla yes, yeah, uh, commentary tracks. Uh-huh. Um, he's done. I mean, I think he's done two commentary tracks for mm-hmm. Godzilla, the fir- the original yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, right. I just fi- I find his his tracks very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, who else? Well, there's uh, there's man. I, I I used to prefer. This was a long time ago, but I used to prefer commentary tracks done by the filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, often I always thought that that was kind of one of the best ways to get some insider information about the the films and to kind of find out what was what was behind some of this. But as I get older, I find myself gravitating more and more to commentaries done by uh, film historians or researchers or people who are, are are fans and therefore come to the the film with an eye toward trying to uh, uh, dig into either the themes or the production itself. I find myself not mm-hmm. as interested in. Uh, a full-length commentary track from from certain creators because I find that it doesn't always pan out as something I find that interesting. Yeah. Recently, yeah. Uh, for the for the rollerball episode of uh, the Bloody Pit, mm-hmm. uh, I sat down and listened to the commentary tracks. There's two of them for rollerball. There's one done by the director Norman, Norman Jewison, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was informative. But I'll be honest, I think he could have contracted his entire conversation down to probably about an hour and a half instead of the two hour runtime of the film, and mm. you've gotten all the information you needed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was also a track done by the uh, the the screenwriter, who was also the man who wrote the original story that the film was based on, and uh, something similar there. There yeah. comes a point where a single a single person doing a commentary track, even though they have a lot to say about the movie and there's a lot that they can bring to the table. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a certain um, limit to which they're going to be able to maintain their own interest and probably your own for a certain period of time. Yeah, there are filmmakers who are very good at it, but um, it's it's uh, like Del Toro is fantastic. His are amazing. Guillermo Del Toro's commentary tracks are astonishing because he's constantly pointing out things on the screen and making you realize that there's not a single thing that you are seeing that isn't totally thought out and planned. Yeah. as what it symbolizes, what it's uh, you know what it's supposed to do visually, just amazing commentaries. But you're absolutely right; it is a crapshoot when it comes to the actual creators. Yeah, it it, it can be it can be uh, it can be death. Yeah, because they don't approach it with the same enthusiasm as the per, the fan or the person who has studied. Yeah, or has made a living at studying and interpreting films. You know, they're not necessarily coming from that aspect of wanting to interpret their own film for you, yeah. and they're also. In a lot of ways, you know, they're they're. I, I think I think it helps if sometimes it helps if there is somebody there to prompt them. Yes, because the problem with them when they're on their own is there's so many things you're going to want them to address and answer that questions you always said they won't. If you have a really good interviewer, somebody that they're with them that can keep them talking. Sometimes though, that doesn't work either because you sometimes have that person is almost maybe too intimidated by the person, or, or they they also you want to strangle that person because they don't ask the. These some questions that you think should be obvious, or, right. or point out things right. that you want them to to ask you, like, "Oh, I wish I was sitting there and could ask that." So that doesn't always work either. But sometimes it does help when you're dealing with a creative person. Is pair them up with somebody who who has studied the film and is approaching from a journalist's perspective or a, a fan's yeah. perspective. 
Yeah, I, I think in general, like I say, I've, I I now gravitate toward mm-hmm. uh, film historians and researchers yeah. and mm-hmm. all, you know biographers and things of that nature mm-hmm. for for commentary tracks because I think they just bring more to the table. And there are a lot of great commentary tracks out there. That's one of the oh, problems is that uh, I am I I own way more commentary tracks than I've listened to simply because. Mm-hmm. The time, you know, I have to make the time investment, yeah, yeah. and uh, I do. I, I often do make the time investment to watch, or I should I say, listen to the commentary tracks that I mm-hmm. own. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm just so glad they're there. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, I, I, w- I will admit that there have been more than a few commentary tracks that I've started on films that I'm not that interested in, mm-hmm. and had one of two reactions: man, this commentary track is way more interesting than the film. Holy <laughs> shit! Or Eh, this commentary track is not, you know, mm. it's not floating my boat in the first ten minutes, so I just cut it off, and I may never return mm. to that, and therefore I'm, I'm, who knows, I'm maybe missing out on some really entertaining yeah. and interesting stuff, mm. and that's kind of, um, I don't know, I don't know. Now I'm, now I'm off into the the, the philosophical well, weeds about, you know, exactly well, what choices you make and yeah. far, as far as your viewing is concerned. Well, just uh, I'll tell you an audio commentary track that I've just listened to recently and and was very entertaining and informative, and I highly recommend is uh, on the uh, Halloween Three Season of the Witch Blu-ray. Uh, uh, the commentary uh, with Tom Atkins oh. and Michael Felsher is uh, is uh, and Atkins is just an incredibly entertaining guy anyway, and his audio commentaries both on that and on Night of the Creeps. Are very very worth uh, worth hearing there. He's a he's a very good uh, interviewee. And, well, Michael Felsher's a good guy to have yeah. on ha- oh, have right, always, ha- yeah. having the second seat on something like always, that because yeah. he's such a huge fan mm-hmm. and he knows this stuff backwards and forwards. Yeah. So yeah. yeah yeah that's 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 a, that's a fine choice. Yeah. 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 Oh, I sh- I'm sorry. I should return to his email. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll get through this email eventually, Thomas. I swear. <laughs> Uh, You guys are always a pleasure to listen to. It's always like just hanging out with friends and shooting the shit when I listen to your podcast. As I don't have any friends that are into the same kinds of movies, it's certainly a great lifeline to have. Keep up the good work. All the best, Thomas. Thank you, Thomas. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Um, And I'll be honest, I think that we think... From the get-go, one of the things that we were really happy in the first year as we kind of got our sea legs and doing a podcast is one of the things that we kind of aimed for was to be though you know that those friendly guys who are sitting on the other yeah. end of, of of the earphones or the speaker yeah. trying you know yeah. trying to create a bit of a, a of a, a a community around enjoying or at least wanting to talk about these movies and therefore yeah. that that's great that's what we were aiming for and it sounds like at least with you we've been successful that's fantastic cool awesome well thank you folks Uh, we very much appreciate your uh, correspondences you can send them to uh, nashicast at gmail.com or you can contact us over on the Facebook page the nashicast Facebook page over on the Facebook website Mm -hmm. I've heard of it before (laughs) also the for those I mean there's been a little bit of discussion about the bloody pit so there's also a bloody pit Website. Uh, I'm sorry. Facebook page, uh, the Bloody Pit, and then there's the the email address for it is the Bloody Pit at gmail dot com. You can contact us at either place if you feel it's more appropriate for Nashi. Send it to Nashi Cast. Uh, otherwise, go with the Bloody Pit. Yep. So. Before we close this out, we'd like to try to point you toward uh, the other podcast, The Bloody Pit, as I continue to mention it, <laughs> because I guess I've just got Tourette's yeah. at this point. I'm just going to say that name over and over again. But the reason that I'm uh, Bringing it up now is next month on March. Troy and I's aim is to continue that podcast and train, mm. but we're gonna we're gonna leave the Nashy track for a little while, and we're gonna jump over onto the Bloody Pit, and uh, we're gonna start something new and different. 
something uh, we've kind of been searching around. Uh, we played around with the idea of possibly, maybe, sort of, maybe doing like another Gamera movie like we did last year. But what we've decided to do instead is um, Troy and I are huge fans of the classic Universal horror movies. Uh, and we've never really talked at length or in depth about the, any of those films. Right. But one of the reasons for that is that if you want to hear people talking about those movies or if you want to read about mm. those movies, you have a zillion oh, options. Yeah. There are yeah. a bazillion books and a bazillion podcasts out there where these movies are discussed and chewed over, and that's wonderful. And yeah. A lot yeah. of those shows and a lot of those books I've read or listened to. Mm -hmm. But what we are big fans of and that we don't think gets nearly the amount of coverage that other things do because, well, they're not considered to be in that upper tier of right. universal horrors. They're not considered to be the... The really top-notch stuff, the stuff that people write long essays about and concoct mm -hmm. entire books mm -hmm. around. They're the movies that, if you're a fan, is one of the greatest things in the world. But if you're not a fan, there's a, a certain haughty sneer that comes <laughs> into the voice. The attitude <laughs> sharpens. There's much looking down mm -hmm. the nose when one speaks of these particular movies. But you know what? That's not how we feel about these movies. So what we've decided to do is we have picked the year 1940, and we are going to start walking our way through, not all, mm -hmm. but the vast majority of what we consider to be mm -hmm. the universal horror movies of the 1940s. Right, yeah. And from what we can learn, what it does appear to be true is the first release of 1940 that would fall under this umbrella would be... The Invisible Man Returns. Yeah. The sequel to the classic James Whale, hmm. The Invisible Man. It's not a film that's held in the highest regard, but it is pretty well thought of. Yeah. So, next month over on the Bloody Pit, Troy and I are going to sit down and we're going to talk about 1940's hmm. The Invisible Man Returns. And I'll be honest, I haven't watched it in years. Yeah, I have not either. I'm looking forward to it. I think the only thing we can guarantee is that our podcast will be longer than these films actually are, because the '40s <laughs> films, '40s films usually barely tip an hour there. Now that's yeah. it's you yeah. know, Invisible Man Returns is a little longer, but uh, but yeah, we will we will probably talk about the film longer than it actually runs. But uh, looking forward to uh, looking forward to doing this one though, uh, especially when you consider that you know Vincent Price is in it. So. Oh, of course, yeah, exactly. So uh, next month over on the Bloody Pit, listen to Troy and I talk about The Invisible Man Returns. And then uh, sometime soon, I'm not sure exactly when, Troy and I will be back here to talk about Paul Nashie films and Spanish horror. Mm -hmm. Hang on to your hats, folks. Mm -hmm. We promise mm -hmm. it will happen. So thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for enjoying what we do. Yeah. And we will talk to you again soon. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. Bye-bye. London, a small city, dark, dark in the daytime.